Alrighty, folks, we are back, baby. Episode number 13 of Live in 5. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Gage Azo Osmus, presented by Butter Golf and Mini Movers. Butter Golf is the official lifestyle and clothing apparel brand of Live and Five. Folks, for whatever you need golf-wise, lifestyle, we have it all. We are entering the holiday season, so we just ran our Black Friday sale. We still have those Forks hats, a couple left in white. If you're looking, those will be available at the Sioux Shop, I believe, in about a week here. So, again, that is Butter Golf and Mini Movers. We are brought to you by over here at Live and Five, but Azo. I guess, well, the elephant in the room, brother, let's just address it. The boys, well, we're free agents over here, baby. We're uh, unrestricted. It's like July 1st, but it's happening at the end of November. Folks, we won't get into too much detail, but Ozzy, right now, the boys here, uh, we're running just us two, and uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later, but free agents, brother, it's kind yeah. of a good feeling. Free agents, it is a good feeling. I'll I'll touch on it a little bit because those guys gave me a little bit for has-beens, and I respect 10K. I love what they do. Um, I love all those guys over there, and especially Mace, who helped us out do this podcast, uh, the first 12 episodes for sure, and then all of has-beens for me there. Um, nothing but love for those guys. 10K, folks, is a Minnesota-based brand, and um, Jordan and I kind of decided Live in 5 is more of a – um, not so centered around Minnesota sports, which is what 10K is. So we didn't really align with their brand and their their vision to where they're going. So it wasn't a uh, it wasn't by any means a nasty breakup or anything. It was kind of a mutual way, mutual uh, parting of ways there, if you will. And obviously Mace is a big part of 10K, so he's he's going with them. And uh, we we want to thank Mace for everything he did for us, and obviously 10K for for backing us and allowing us to use all their stuff. So nothing but love for them. But yeah, free agents, baby, it's exciting. It's exciting when you're a free agent in hockey, when you're out there on the open market, uh, single back, and you know an unrestricted Ooh. free agent being single. You know it's always That's exciting right. being a free agent, man. There's new new beginnings, new opportunity. I'm excited man 100% and like you touched on I was new to the show here you know only being about 12 episodes deep but from the guys at 10k they always helped us out Ozzy and especially Mace Jack Mason our producer Jackie Ferda tip the cap pour one out to him because he was doing timeless work for us uh, basically for free 99 on his own dime on his own time so nothing but love and respect for Mace uh, but Ozzy it is what it is, and the show goes on over here at Live and Five. So, like you said, anytime you're hitting the open market, hey, we're looking for teams, we're looking for sponsors, we're looking for everything over here at Live and Five. We're talking missionary, me on top of her, on top of you, shit. So, Ozzy, we will be in the hunt. Um, we'll be okay. And um, just wanted to get into the weekend snap like we normally do over here at Live and Five, brother. How was the weekend? How was the Turkey Day special? Where'd you spend it? I believe you were in Minneapolis. Um, did you go over to the the roommate or the plus one side of things, or did you do a little local yep. turkey at your place? Yeah, I went over to uh, the roommate's place and uh, you know ate had Thanksgiving with her 
parents um we actually went out to a restaurant since it was just us four it doesn't really make sense anymore to b- make a big thanksgiving dinner um with you know only four people there my parents were invited uh my dad went up to visit his parents my mom's out in Kelowna watching trey play hockey up there um so they were out of the picture and that's what we did and uh ended up it was great you know i i actually i like the smaller thanksgiving sometimes when you're in front of you know 10 15 family members it gets a little outrageous it gets a little overwhelming um they can get a little long so that was nice there and then obviously on the weekend got to pop over um to the old Mariucci and watch the Gophers take on Michigan State that was uh that was an interesting one uh, it's not not I, I'm not used to seeing Michigan State be a decent hockey team every time I've seen them in the last whatever how many years they've just kind of been mediocre and they, they they got a good squad this year so that was cool to see yeah and before we get to our boots on the ground <clears throat> segment in terms of college hockey I guess I'll give a rundown a little bit of my turkey day spent on the couch of my parents' apartment. Ozzy, the house that we grew up in, they sold that, uh, I would say, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. How sad is that? Do you miss it? It's It's terrible. man. I mean, the shakers we had at this place, dude, they had a pool in the back. It had the hot tub in case you needed a little rub down from a girl your senior year. I mean, it had a (laughs) hockey room where we could host parties, and that was like a room just off or below the garage that was like soundproof. I mean, it was just a place to be if you're the kid growing up in Verona, Wisconsin. So once we lost that place, I forget what year it was. It might have been my sophomore or junior year of college as I was kind of finishing it up at UND. And they downsized to a condo kind of closer to downtown Madison and then ended up selling that place because my folks are actually going to be relocating down here to the desert full time. they got a spot that's being built right now. So once Unreal. my mom retires here in June or July... The Schmaltz clan will all be down here. But yeah, man, it's just sad. So we were chilling in uh, an apartment, a two-bedroom, humble beginnings, as I'd say, or humble endings to their time in Madison. It's uh, just off the square, which is a cool spot off the Capitol. And anyways, we were just hanging out there, me, my sis, my parents. My mom cooked up a nice little turkey day spread led by a honey-baked ham. Fuck, man, I think I filled my barrel with like 6,500 calories. It's just insane the amount of food you eat on turkey it's day. Nuts. And I wasn't even boozing, and I woke up the next day, and I thought I was on like day seven of a bender. It was it was crazy. But it's worse than if you were that, – that hangover, that food hangover, it's worse than if you actually went on a bender. Oh, it's horrible. So we did that, and then, um, you know, I was boots on the ground the following day or I think two days later, kind of just kicked it with the fam – Nice and easy. But before we get to boots on the ground, do you follow Kid Rock on Instagram? I wanted to just bring this up quick because he is such a beauty. You got to pull up his Instagram here, Ozzy. And, you know, after the Turkey Day special is the Black Friday, obviously, for folks looking to shop. And Kid Rock just kills me, man. I mean, the guy, like he said, he's uncancelable. I just think he's so funny. So he's running this special for his Rock the Country tour, which features him, Jason Aldean, Miranda Lambert, Hank Williams Jr., Leonard Skinner, and a few others. And his caption was just so goddamn funny. So he's like, Black Friday is here. You could go to Target and get yourself a great deal on a women's swimsuit with a penis pouch, or you could buy tickets to the most patriotic music (laughs) gathering in the world. It's just like, oh, my God. The Detroit Cowboy kills me. I'm a big fan of Kid Rock. I know you are, too. But I just think, like, I'm waking up on Friday. I'm reading that post. I'm like, oh, my God. The kid did it again, baby. He did. He always pulls through. That guy is such a legend, man. 
I, he's my favorite concert I've ever been to. He's one of my favorite humans on earth. He's just, he's just real. And he is, like you said, he's one of the only guys on earth I feel is uncancelable. And he says it too. He's like, I'm uncancelable. You can't cancel me. It's, it's so he's nails. So nails, but yeah. So that was fun. Um, you know, I ended up doing a couple of dinners. It's always good to get home, but my sister ended up pulling a $500 pull tab at a local establishment, Toby. So she went and had herself a night, Ozzy. That was the same night. That was Friday. So luck on the schmaltz side was on our side. But let's get into boots on the ground here, brother. Our segment on college hockey. We try to watch a little bit or even, you know, get to a game every now and then. So you were at Mariucci. You were watching, obviously, the Gophers take on the visiting Michigan State Spartans, and historically over the last decade, the Spartans have just been dog shit. I mean, they finally got a coach in there, and Adam Nightingale, uh, a guy that was in Detroit before as a video coach. But what did you see in that game? I believe it was a Friday-Sunday series. So is Michigan State, like, are they decent now? Or are they a team that's going to be in the tournament come March, or is this a team that had a just a hot start and they're kind of fading? What did you see from that game in the Big Ten? Yeah, no, I honestly thought, um, like the Gophers all played them Friday a little bit, but Michigan State hung in there. They they were down the whole game. You know, they'd go down a goal, tie it, go down a goal, tie it, go down two goals, come back and tie it. You know, they were rel- relentless. They kept coming back. And it, the Mariucci's a tough building to play in, man. I, I don't know if you, how many times you stepped on that ice out in the Mariucci, but it's it's intimidating, you know, and the, the crowd's loud. And, and those Minnesota guys, they play harder. They, they, they're skilled, they're talented. They play a tough game on that big sheet. It's not as big anymore. Um, but no, Michigan State, I thought I thought they looked good. They're definitely going to be in the tournament for sure. Obviously, Minnesota's down a little bit from last year. But, you know, I'm comparing that team this year to their team last year. And you can't really compare a college team to the team they had last year. That, that's one of the teams that only comes around once, once every decade or so. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they finish. The Big Ten is going to be a tight race. I don't know what's going to happen in that league. For sure. And give me one player in the for the folks listening on either side. You know, obviously you got the big names in Snuggerud and some of these guys on Minnesota, but how about one player on Sparty that you're like, man, this this guy might be able to play in the National League or you know, he's a he's a good prospect. Yeah. No, they had uh They've, they've got this kid, Isaac Howard. That's kind of why I wanted to go to the game. So the kid goes to Duluth last year and um he doesn't have too good of a season. He's a first-round pick. He's a guy that wore the white lightning suit to the draft. Yeah. I thought that was legendary, you know, watching him walk up there. You don't really see too many, you know, Minnesota guys walking up at the on the draft stage with a nice flashy suit. So that was good to see um, him pulling through for Minnesota there. But he transferred to Michigan State. Um, didn't have too good of a season with Duluth last year. So I was interested to see how he looked out there. And, and this guy's silky, man. He can skate. He, uh, he's, he's smooth out there. He sees the ice. Well, um, he's just, he's a good player, man. I think if he keeps developing and and I think he's, you know, over a point per game this year. So he's obviously producing. Um, but no, yeah, I mean, and then on the Minnesota side, I didn't really know who to watch, but who I did like when I watched on Friday was, uh, the pit lick kid and those pit licks, all of them. Seems they like they all they, they the all grow, Brady bunch? yeah and they all grow up it seems like they all grow up it seems like just stick handling in their sleep like this guy's got mitts 
it's disgusting. I mean, they're so dirty. He's he was a good player out there. I mean, he's a small body. I mean, he might be smaller than Clayton Keller, and I don't know if he has enough skill to be Clayton Keller, but he's up there, man. He's fun to watch, especially in college. So um, those are the two guys I kind of noticed on the ice. For sure. And Ozzy, I was boots on the ground the following night at the Kohl Center. And do you remember, like back in the day, especially when I used to go watch games in the early to mid-2000s, this place would be stuffed. There'd be 16,000 people. On an off night, there might be 12 to 13, you know, 12 and a hook. But it was predominantly packed. And I know it's Thanksgiving weekend, and but just over the years, Wisco has just lost the steam of the crowd, brother. It's it's weird, and I know they're on the up and up, which I love, but do you remember how packed that building used to be and even just seeing highlights out of that? I mean, I, I was it talking used- to my dad. Like, this place used to be the hardest place to play in college. Yeah. It was, it oh, was yeah. like an NHL arena. It, it is. It's the size of an NHL arena, and they used to stuff it, like you said, and it used to, like, do you, and like, they do you used remember- do you remember oh, going yeah. there our junior year, my junior year, your sophomore year? It was stuck. It was insane. It was insane. It was scary. And they it was, weren't any yeah. good. No, and they weren't. And and back then when they did have fans, you know, coming to that rink, their basketball and football team were good. Yes. So they're competing with them. And now it's like, I don't really hear much about Wisconsin football and basketball anymore. So you'd think they'd have a little more buzz with the hockey team. I know they were down last year, but... Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to see them, I mean, get some fans back in the stands. I know the Kohl Center was rocking. I think they need to, you know, level down a little bit, maybe get a 7,000, you know, seat stadium or arena for those guys because I just don't think they're going to sell out that, you know, that Kohl Center was built for basketball, which obviously basketball can get, you know, that many people there. But um, with hockey, I just don't see them filling that place anymore. I don't know why. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, it's it's a lot to fill, and especially, you know, with the team being a little bit down. But they had an okay crowd with no students being there. All all things considered, I mean, they probably had seven thousand. I would say that's kind of what my estimation was, even for a team they were playing Alaska. So who knows? Yeah. Hastings got that thing on the rise, right? They're playing at the Sea Wolves. I mean, we're talking a throwaway game up in fucking Rochester, even though they lost on Friday night. Saturday there was a decent crowd, but one player I wanted to mention. I tweeted about this kid as I was sitting in section 226, row F. Ben Dexheimer. He's a right shot, undersized defenseman. He's a sophomore, 11 points in 14 games. I think he's a borderline NHL prospect. And mm-hmm. to me, he moved really well. He's a guy that's undersized. He doesn't have like the moxie or the defensive game as like a favor, but. To me, he's a guy that could play a couple more years, be around a point per game, especially as a, you know, as he gets into being a, an older guy and um, an upperclassman, a junior and senior. So that's one guy I wanted to watch on. And now I got to want to give one shout out to Nate LaPointe. He is Derek LaPointe's brother who played at UND for folks listening. No way. He is the equipment manager for the Badgers, just surpassed or hit 500 games for as a college hockey equipment manager. He's a guy that was a student trainer at UND. He's actually a guy that fucking sharpened my skates, Ozzy, when I was playing in the jungle in Chicago. I would rip my blades up north because my guy in Chicago with the wolves, I mean, he might as well have been working at Didn't a trust him. He was, oh, no. He was oh, just a butcher, dude. He Some of like, those guys are terrible at sharpening the blades. It's like, what are you doing, buddy? So I would uh, I would bring my blades up to Pointer. He'd get them done, crispy rice, you know, 
whatever I was using. I was like five ace or seven ace. I can't remember what I would use, but pointer was always dialed. So I wanted to give him a shout out. Good dude from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And the last thing I want to touch on in college hockey here, Ozzy, before we get into our NHL talk, the Nodak jerseys for Nodak. I mean, come on. These things are crispy. Why aren't they the number one jerseys instead of the Fighting Hawks bullshit or the UND, you know, the standard lo- logo they're using right oh. now, just the script? Like these Nodaks coming across, they're unbelievable. And I wanted to just give one shout-out again to Dane Montgomery, scored his first goal for the Sioux at the Ralph. But, Ozzy, just touch on both those things in terms of why aren't we using these Nodak jerseys more and why aren't they regulars? Because those whites, dude, they were so butter. Man, those are better than any jersey I ever wore at North Dakota by far. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want Bubs to take a, a, you know, ricochet, ricochet shot here, but what, what are they doing? Can they not wear these things every game? And even the, even the darks, you know, wear the darks too. Like, we don't need the University of North Dakota on the, the front of the jersey. It's just too much to read. It's like, let's keep the Nodak right there. And those, that green, Paired with that white, it is, it's it's the best jersey in college hockey, I think. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but it's it's a clean look. It's unbelievable. And, and you mentioned Dane Montgomery scores his first goal. Unbelievable for the kid. He, he spent, he's been injured for his first two, three years or whatever. Finally gets in a game, scores a goal. But remember when we watched when we were at the series, they're playing the Gophers. We watched uh, Aces skate before and. Daner was one of the guys on the ice and he was he was skating doing some drills with another guy and we were watching him we're like fuck his boots look pretty good he he, he looks pretty good out there yeah, he I mean, let's get this guy feet. some ice time yeah, yeah. He, he was looking good especially those tight turns he was doing the mitts were falling the hands like he looked like he was ready to play yeah and it's cool that he got rewarded for that Ozzy but let's uh let's move over to some NHL talk let's start at the top here I want to address the Truba Tomahawk and you got to love NHL beat writers. And this again is no disrespect, but most of these guys did not play the game. And it was just so funny to hear these guys dissect at like at one angle, you can see he did it on purpose, but on this angle, you can totally (laughs) tell it was an accident because his arm rises up and Frederick kind of lets go of its hand. It's like, dude, the guy slashed a guy in the head. I don't. He was not that far off balance. I mean, I don't know how he didn't get suspended for that. That was fucking blatant. It was. It was like, I know. I I keep seeing all these people like, oh look, like he was just trying to get his arm. <laughs> you know that he was grabbing his arm, so he's trying to get his arm out of the grip, and he just happened to have a stick in his other hand and tomahawked it over. It's like, again, I get. You know, yeah, he is trying to pull his left arm out. But Jacob Truba for sure knows that his right arm is locked onto a stick. And if he pulls his left arm with his hand on the stick, the stick's coming over the top. I mean, you know that, right? Like, you know that's good. And and we we have all been pissed off on the ice. I felt like tomahawking a guy over the fucking face, too. I just didn't do it. (laughs) Truba just actually did it. Ozzy, how funny was it? Like his interview today, the day after, a couple days after, he's getting interviewed by Larry Brooks, you know, their beat writer there from the, I believe, the New York Times or the New York Post. And he says, like, yeah, me and Frederick were actually pretty surprised that happened. It's like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? We were both pretty surprised. Well, no shit, the guy that got hit in the fucking head is pretty surprised that you slashed him over the head with a tomahawk. Like, are you, what are you talking about? We're both surprised. What the fuck? 
And then he was talking about the rules. He's like, you know, I play by the rules. That's the way I was taught. You know, don't get mad at me. Get mad at the rules. If the rules change, I'll change my game. It's like, I don't think that's in the rules, man. I don't think it says in the oh. old-time hockey rules you can just tomahawk someone over the head. And then, I mean, there were people who there were people who were comparing it to that Brashear. Who who slashed Brashear again over the fucking head and he just dropped and knocked him out? Never played again. I forget it. Was it McCarthy or um, it might have been who, Darren McCarty? Yeah, Darren. I McCarthy. think it was Darren McCarty. Yeah, I think you're right. I, they were comparing it to that. Okay, that was not even close. That was that was bad. But no, yeah, that was I mean, full on criminal. But the, how did he yeah. not get a game? Like at least one game. I mean, you're gonna uh, find a guy making eight and a hook, eight million dollars a year, eight bananas. We would say. Hart five thousand dollars, like Ryan dude, Hartman like, just got suspended for two games for slew footing a guy. I mean, right? I he think loses forty k for that slew foot because he's you know that's what it equaled out to two game suspension in terms of pay. That's without pay, but a guy like Truba just gets. A, I mean, five k like that's one night out at Tau just for you and your skunk having dinner like in New yeah, York. Yeah, like City. Sean <laughs> Avery. Sean Avery's on. <laughs> Sean Avery's like I mean Truba five grand. The guy drops fucking a couple five grand just walking to the rink every morning. Like it's fucking nothing to the guy. Yeah, so that was that was funny, but yeah. Um, moving along in our NHL talk, I want to bring this up, Ozzy. You might have a new insider in the game right now, and you might be looking at him. Oh yeah, let's. What happened here, Jordan? Because you, you obviously, I don't know if the people saw it who are listening, but Jordan breaks the news on Patty Kane signing with Detroit the night before. And you know how pissed all these insiders are. You know, when they saw that, they had to have been shaking like this fucker. You know, because I don't know if they're if they're waiting for it to be confirmed or whatever, and you're just out here like, yeah, he's signing day before he signs. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I mean, how do you, like, how do you, I, I know you got your sources or whatever, so you're hearing this stuff. I mean, are you getting like, do, do these insiders, or are they talking to you too? Like, hey, well, like, where'd you get that? Or like, do you have to answer to any of these people? Or like, how, how, you, how well, are you getting this it, stuff? It, it was funny, Ozzy, because, I mean, even today you saw the news come out. And actually a good guy that he is, Frank Saravalli, I don't really know him, but he gave me credit, which was cool. He gave me the stick taps. And, you know, he said, credit J Swish 24. He had it first last night. But... <laughs> So last night I go over to Nick's place and I'm sitting there. We're having, you know, a little pregame dinner. He's playing the lightning as we're talking and it's Monday night, right? You were just kind of hanging out. And after we finish up eating, we're watching some games. We're watching the Makar game. We're watching some of these other ones. We were starting to watch the association a little bit with the Clippers and the Denver Nuggets. Cause I had a little action on that one, but I'm sitting around and my phone starts going off and I'm just, you know, I can't name who was calling me, but I get a first call and they're talking about the Corey Perry situation a little bit, which we'll get into next, but Kaner gets brought up. So I'm, I'm sniffing around that. And earlier in the day, I had a couple sources kind of leaning towards my way saying, Hey, you know, Kaner, it looks like it's done in Detroit. I'm like, is that confirmed? They're like, no, it's not confirmed, but you know, he's in Detroit. He visited with Stevie Y. He's had a couple meetings. Stevie's even flown to Detroit or sorry, Toronto where Kaner had been training in Oakville, mm-hmm. just outside of Toronto. So that day kind of shakes out in terms of yesterday. I was getting a little bit of intel later on, about 9, 10 Mountain Standard. I'm starting to hear that it is confirmed. Like he hadn't signed the deal yet, but it was basically he had put the ink 
as close as he could to the paper. Mm -hmm. So I get that from about two or three people. And I would say from sources that are like 10 out of 10. Like I, Mm -hmm. I know I can run with this. Yeah. And I'm sitting there. I'm like looking at my brother. I'm like, Nick, like, I think I'm about to break the Patty Kane news right here. Like I was taking, I would say a 5% risk. Like I was told it was all but done. They were just waiting on it. If they're going to do a one or two year deal, but it was leaning towards one and it was basically confirmed. Yeah. It was one. I didn't know the AAV on it, but I let it ride. I mean, who am I? I'm not like I'm getting paid to do this job. I'm not an mm-hmm. actual insider. So I fired off. It starts getting traction last night in terms of on the Twitter machine or now X and people start gaining steam. Like, is this fucking real? Like, is, who is this guy? Who's Jay Swish? Is, he's like, they're better. Like, people are tweeting. I'd be like, this guy better not be fucking with me. I've been a diehard <laughs> Detroit fan for 40 years. I'm like, just reading all these replies and quoted tweets. And so, yeah, that kind of goes on. And I wake up at about seven this morning. And that's eight, nine, you know, that's nine Eastern here in Scottsdale. And all the insiders are tweeting it out, you know, Caner to Detroit, Caner to Detroit. I'm like, well, fuck. I had this thing first, so I just jokingly quote the tweet, and I tweeted at, like, drags, all of the disciples, all the Mount Rushmore of insiders, Dragger, mm-hmm. Elliot Friedman, Sarah Valley. I even think I included maybe one more. I don't know if it was LeBron or whoever it was. And Sarah Valley actually gave me credit for it. So, fellas and ladies listening, you are now looking at your newest insider. Well, fuck, Ozzy. I mean, I think I got to join the Rat Pack and the Rat Race at this point because today – and I'm not bullshitting you. I had assistant GMs calling me, texting me. I had pro scouts. I had player development guys. They had now they're wanting other news on everything. I'm like, boys, I, kinda, I don't do this for a living. Not yet, but it was just <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. a funny ass day replying to people. That's because- what I wanted to ask you, though, Jordo. Is this like, I mean, who's to say you can't do this job better than the actual insiders? Because you know these guys. I so would love to, I, I, at what know, point? To, yeah. I would say. I would love to do it, Ozzy. I think I'm pretty well connected for the limited amount of games I played. I mean, I was around the NHL for four years. Did I play a lot of games? No, but I was always up and down. I made a team out of camp. I always, you know, I'm a guy that never shut the fuck up, and I like to make people laugh, make connections. So also, I think I wouldn't be suing anyone or throwing people under the bus. I think that's, you know, just a character thing that I, I try to pride myself on anyways. So yeah, I would love to do it. I would love to work my way up the insider rankings as the Heat Daddy has, you know, every couple of weeks. But it was just funny because now I'm getting the Corey Perry news. And that was something as we tra- transitioned into that, that was something I wanted to stay away from, right? Like mm-hmm. I'd heard that last night in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, getting it on with a staffer. It wasn't Bedard's mom. It wasn't anybody's mom. All the rumors out there were bullshit, but it, it was getting to a point where, you know, the rumors were coming in and it was being confirmed that it was some sort of harassment and to the level that they knew it was, was it harassment or was it just, you know, he had hooked up or had a a relationship with someone inside the Chicago Blackhawks staff that wasn't known at that point. And it's honestly something I would want to stay away from moving forward anyways. Like who am I to tweet about what you do at home and the guy's got a family and you're going through shit. So that's something I would never really want to bring up. But now that it's out there, like I was getting news on that and people are asking me about that shit. So I don't know, Ozzy, I, I think, um, it's a fun I circle. Be, I would love to be an insider is what yeah, long, a short story long there. That's a fun circle there. And I do gotta, I want to mention the Corey Perry rumor of him. We all saw it. Okay. There's a rumor going around right off the bat. Corey Perry banged Bedard's mom. You know, this is just some fucking idiot 
Rick, you know, yes. who, who hears, who hears he's close to the Chicago Blackhawks or whatever. And he hears um, from someone that Corey Perry's kicked off the team for, you know, some sexual relations with someone. And you know, you just know some guys like, oh, it's fucking Bedsy's mom, eh? You know, and just throws it out there and then everyone runs with it. You know, you, I saw so many tweets, people saying it. It's like, God, that's just so... I mean, imagine Bedsy's... <laughs> I mean, Bedsy probably, like, Bedard and the team and, like, the mom and the, the Bed, Bedard's dad probably know it's all fake. But, like, imagine having those rumors go around about you because I'm pretty sure they're happily married. So it's like, I mean... They're dealing with questions. Probably people are like calling his dad, like, you fucking serious? We're a fucking killer. Know. You know, like, <laughs> like what's going on? Like, That's so insane. You gotta, you gotta answer questions about your line mate who's a 30 year, 38 year old <laughs> veteran married that he laid the woodshed to your mom, who's actually kind of hot. You know, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. he's got the screws taken to her by <laughs> my line mate, a guy that plays net front on my power play. Like, there's no way this can be true, but people are just fucking running with it. Like, imagine being an 18 year old kid playing in the National League, and this is what you have to deal with. Like, it's just crazy what people they're so they're such morons on Twitter. Oh. Like, you see it with any time any news comes out about someone, though, it's always like a cheating scandal or someone bangs someone's wife. And, like, what yeah. are the chances? that ever happens i mean it's slim to none so that was uh that was crazy um we just hope that you know a guy like Corey perry is gonna be okay and we don't like well, to get into the whole Jordo, i wanted to, i wanted to mention this about Corey perry okay you know the story i guess you know story is it was it was with the staffer or whatever maybe and maybe he got a little too handsy who knows what happens but you gotta think that I mean, I, I want to throw like Chicago under the bus or anything, but it's like, does Chicago as an organization actually care if Corey Perry bangs a girl? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. But in but the situ- it, in this situation, in this situation, in, right? I think right. they're handcuffed because they're they're handcuffed because you know they've probably got some legalities coming at them now um you know there's it's it's turmoil and after what they just went through with you know the other all the other shit you know this is the last organization that would ever need something like this to happen so obviously they got to play the safe route but like imagine i was trying to i was i was saying this with my buddies like imagine if this was bedard who did it i mean that shit is right under the rug it's sitting under the rug right now and they're squashing it you know like what happened? <laughs> like right under the rug and just old mob boss style. You're just burning, burning all oh, the Oh yeah, hundred percent. I just think they are so self conscious and rightfully so of what they've been through of sweeping things under the rug. Their issues with all that stuff with the the Kyle Beach incident and even more news coming out with that stuff with yeah. the trainer there. You know, years past. I, I just think they're so they're so scared to get into a you know, a bind again and, and rightfully so. But I mean, a guy like Corey Perry, like we're not going to get too much into it, but he's going to be dealing with a lot of stuff just on his own in terms of, you know, going home and, you know, he's oh, got a family. It's he's just got tough. a long road. Yeah. It's tough, Ozzy, but let's move along to, well, these guys, man. And it starts with their coach. Did you catch the little bit of game film that came out of the locker room during the dad's trip? I believe the team was playing in Boston, or sorry, in Florida. It was the Boston Bruins, and Jim Montgomery 
about that dad's trip. Did you see that speech he said? Yeah. I mean, for the folks that didn't see it, it was just so cool of like, you know, he lost his dad a few years ago and how much his dad meant to him and what his dad always taught him was, you know, you always give a second and third effort. And it was just such a cool, like personal and real speech before a game. It's like, no wonder why these guys are such a well-oiled machine. Yeah. It starts at the top. Obviously, they have great leadership in Marshawn. But this the whole culture of the Bruins, Ozzy, doesn't it feel like it almost gives you flashbacks, and I can only compare to our experiences, but like in North Dakota where you don't find that a whole lot in pro sports where every fucking guy cares about you, mm-hmm. and especially your coach. Yeah, no, it was it was – it was one of the better talks I've heard, especially it's cool because it was before a game and it really had nothing to do with hockey. You know, it was kind of all about the dads and, and you know, the speech re- relates to just anyone in their life, you know, and they're about to go play a hockey game and he fired up with that. And um, yeah, I mean, Monty's been known. I, I, he's always been known. I've always asked guys, you know, you can't find a single player that doesn't like the guy. And I mean, obviously, you see the reason why in that video. He's just that that speech, like he doesn't stumble once. It's from the heart. It's it's smooth. Um, it come the points the points made, um, and he he knocks a couple of guys who don't have their dads with them anymore, um, like he doesn't. And, and it was just, I don't know. Like I, I wish I I wish I had that in me to give a speech like that. I just don't think I do. Like the, that that guy's special. Yeah, absolutely. That guy, he just, he seems all time friend of the program. Derek Forbert is inside that locker room, speaks volumes of a guy like Jim Montgomery. And we've obviously heard the same over the years, no matter where he's coached, whether it was at Denver, even dating back to his days as a Dubuque fighting Saints coach. He's won everywhere he's gone to. So the Boston Bruins, as of now, they are 14 3 and 3, top of the East. David Pasternak, AKA Pasta. 31 points in 20 games. That guy is unbelievable, Ozzy. I mean, just talk about the swag walking in the rink. The three-piece suits. He can wear neon. He can wear cheetah print. I mean, if you're picking a swaggier guy in the National Hockey League, I know the buzz is all on Willie Styles, but are you picking Pasta or Willie Styles? Because these are two guys that actually played together dating back to the junior days and their draft years playing together in Sweden. Um, together actually on a line so I mean in terms of just like guys that just have that it factor like those guys are like 1a 1b as far as I'm concerned 100% they're you can just tell when when they walk into the rink you know even when they you know the the outfits they wear into the rink like pasta's always dripped out like I love that out of NHL players not too many guys do it I love when the NBA guys do it I love when the NFL guys do it um not necessarily still like some of these nba guys are going a little too far with it but pasta and willie yeah like you said they're 1a and 1b they're the they're the coolest guys in the league right now um i mean obviously a mats is always going to be up there and let's not slight nicky schmaltz out in arizona i know he's a brother but that guy is they they have that same personality almost where they 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 seem like they just don't care because they just know that everything's going to be okay and they're going to have a fucking good time out there. Yeah, that's a confidence level I don't think I've had since maybe junior, you know, and these yeah. guys are doing in the National League. So out west, Ozzy, 97. He had one plus four against the Ducks the other night. That's five points. I mean, I had a five point night in the Finnish League and I thought I was a fucking man. 
You know, and this guy's doing it in the <laughs> National League. Like, to me, the West is so far down. It's very unpredictable. It's so much weaker than the East. Is this a mm-hmm. team like Edmonton, if they catch fire, which we know they can do, is this a team that can just get into the dance and make something happen if they get a little bit of goaltending? Because you know 29 and 97 are going to heat up. It's just a matter of getting that goaltending and a little bit of D. You don't need a lot, just a no. little bit of D. Because, as I said, the West, isn't perfect i mean you have la you have a team like colorado finding their way and then you basically have vegas and the rest is kind of a crapshoot you look down the the wild cards even it's like teams that are 500 so edmonton could easily climb the ladder in the ranks what are you seeing from up there they're playing a little better as of late 100 they are and you, you mentioned the east and west it was the same it was the same last year and i want to ask you about this and what you think about this that what i'm going to bring up here but um it was the same last year. The East is strong. The West is a little weaker. The West wins the cup. Are these, are these Eastern teams, are they kind of shit out of luck right now because they're just beating the shit out of each other all season long, you know? And then they get to playoffs, and you're beating the shit out of each other in playoffs. And then you get to the cup, and it seemed like, you know, Florida was basically dead last year, and Vegas was laughing when they walked into the cup. Is that, I mean, do you have an easier time winning out of the West if you make it out of the West right now to win the Cup? Because your season, the whole season is going to be a little easier. It's not going to be as tough. And then the playoffs are going to be a little easier. It's just, I don't know. I, I feel like, because they are so different. Like the, the top eight teams in the East are almost all better than the best team in the West. I mean, I think you're onto something there. I would agree with that. I mean, you look at a team like Florida, what they had to go through with Boston. You know, coming back, going to game seven, stealing one, then going through Toronto. And I just think that's it, it all adds up, right? Florida gets to the final last year. They play Vegas. They're so depleted. Guys are getting hurt left, right, and center. And then mm-hmm. you play a team like Vegas, who essentially got challenged by the Edmonton Oilers. And Edmonton, it's no disrespect, but they weren't on a level of some of these teams in the East. No. And Compare that with good goaltending, a solid back end that wasn't taking the same amount of stress, you know, yeah. through a four, a four round series. To me, it's kind of the same song and dance because a team like Vegas, they're so deep, they're so heavy, they just reload. They don't really get any bumps and bruises. I mean, you go back to a quote that Jack Eichel had after the Stanley Cup. He's like, "We all feel like we could play another round." That's an insane thing to say going through what I know guys go through, and same with you that play four rounds in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, you're walking away with separated shoulders, a couple of concussions, a knee injury. Oh. I mean, there's elements you got to battle that are unheard of. Yeah. And these guys are saying they can play another fucking round. I mean, come on. It's you ridiculous. So there got to be some truth to that, right? <clears throat> yeah. That I mean, that's what I was thinking. And they when if you watched the Cup last year, they looked like that. They looked like they weren't as beat down as the other side and they weren't and it's I mean, that has to, it all adds up. It all compounds. I know people think, you know, well, the regular season doesn't matter and stuff. Well, it does in that sense, you know, teams can get run down. And then once you get to the playoffs, it ramps up. And if you're already run down from the regular season, like, like Florida was, you know, last year they had to battle. They had the last 21 games or whatever. They had to win like 16 or 17 to get in the playoffs. They do it. They're, they're bagged from that. I mean, they're, they already played a couple of playoff series, so it's, I just I think mean, the West, the team that comes out of the West this year has the advantage, I think. Absolutely. I mean, if you're the Kings and you're looking at your schedule in division, yeah. you're playing the Ducks. You're playing Man Jose. 
you're playing Vancouver. Yes, I know Vancouver is playing really well right now, but they're going to come down to life. I think they're a playoff team. I don't think they're as good as what they're showing right now just because at some point they got to return to human level. You're playing a team like Calgary. You're playing a depleted Edmonton team for the first 25 games. It's going to take them to at least half the season to really find their game. So you're playing all these weaker teams. You're not taking those hits. They're less intense games. I think it really matters, Ozzy, because come April – when you hit the ground running and you got a little bit more juice and then your first round is maybe not as intense as someone in the East, it all adds up. And I think the playoffs and guys I've talked to and even what I've seen, when you can get away with a little bit less games in terms of how many you play in the first couple of rounds. So say the, your first series oh, only goes huge. to five games and then the next series is maybe only six or five. And then, you know, I mean, you're, those games, they just stack up on top oh, of yeah. each other. And they just, you know, one less hit, maybe 10 less hits, whatever it is, it all adds up. Because when you're playing for the mug, man, you're running on fumes. You, To me, the first round of every year is always just a kamikaze round. Like, it's crazy how fast That's guys insane. are buzzing. And if you can get out of that round with, you know, five, you six games. Yeah. Right? If you get out of that only, first round within within seven games, you're laughing. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, uh, you're definitely saving fuel. So couple more shout outs I wanted to give just in terms of the National Hockey League before we move on to the NFL talk. Brock Besser, friend of the show. I know we've been talking about him a lot lately, but he deserves his clicks. 15 goals, Ozzy, on top of the National Hockey League. I believe he's tied maybe. Uh, so good for Bess. He wanted a bounce back season. He is playing well. Nikita Kucherov, he's actually playing tonight at Mullet Arena. I'm missing the game. The Tampa Bay Lightning are in town. 35 points in 20 games, Ozzy, for Nikita Kucherov. This guy is so filth. Is that I mean, good? <laughs> is that good? Like, how, how nasty are you got to be? I mean, even just staying on the Tampa talk, like there's no way these guys don't re-sign a guy like Steven Stamkos, right? I mean, yeah. come on. You He's your to. captain. He'll he'll be willing to take you know a little bit of a discount. I mean, mm-hmm. keep this guy there. So I wanted to touch on those things and – Last little thing, we don't have to dive deep into it, Ozzy, but I wanted your thoughts just on something in the National Hockey League. How dumb is the NHL? I mean, initially not letting Marc-Andre Fleury wearing that indigenous-inspired mask. I mean, his wife is part Native. He had a nice, inspiring message on it from his dad, and he wanted to honor the Native American people, and the NHL says no. They let the NHL know one month prior that he was going to wear this mask just for warm-ups. It wasn't even for the game. Like, why would you shut that down? And it's the same stuff with the pride tape. Mm-hmm. Why are we shutting these things down when clearly you should be able to do whatever you want to do, man? I mean, these aren't offensive things. It's not like they're no. diving into the Hamas, you know, situation yeah. in Palestine. And like, you know, like, why aren't we letting these guys do these things trying to honor people or just shine a little bit of light. That's something that hits home for these people because I mean, in reality, like, yeah, who gives a fuck? Well, I agree. I completely agree. Like, here's the thing. Okay. I was kind of against the, you know, I was against the crowd that, you know, berated and, you know, came at Ivan Provorov for not wanting to wear the pride Jersey. For sure. Um, you know, like that's his choice. You know, that's fine. I don't agree with making a full team wear all these things, but if I, I do, I would want all these guys to have the choice to, you know, represent something they 
care about in warmups at least. But then again, I, I do think about the NHL and nowadays we're coming into a time where half the population thinks this, whatever this thing is, whoever this player is doing is the worst thing in the world. And the other half thinks it's fine. And there's just such a gray area there. And I think the NF, the NHL is thinking like, Hey, we just don't want to fuck around with it. You guys can't wear shit. You know, you guys are just done. You can't support anything. You can't do anything. We're just going to avoid all of this because we right. don't want any controversy. So I understand that side it is, it's just, it does seem so stupid. Like, it's like, this is why we can't have nice things people it's because right. everyone complains about all this stuff and you get offended by someone wearing a native american thing or you get offended by someone wearing pride tape because you're catholic or it's all these things it's like just shut the fuck up you're not offended no one's offended this guy didn't hurt you he did he's causing no harm just let the right. guy support what he wants to support if it's not hurting anyone right and, and if it does truly offend you shut the fuck up who are you yeah you know, like, just move yeah. on with your day. It does not matter. I mean, unless no. it's truly, you know, to a level of significance where it, it shouldn't be allowed. But I think they can draw the line there. I don't think Gary Bettman's an idiot. But no. you do make yeah, a I good mean, point there. You do make a great you, point, Ozzy, where everything's offensive or every, you know, someone's always bitching. So why not just say no to any of it? You do make a great point there. And I did have that jotted down where, I mean, at this point, what are you supposed to do? That's a tough spot for Gary. It's a tough Bettman spot. To yeah. Be in, right. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, let's, why can't we just use our common sense and decide what we used to do? What is right and what is wrong? Like, okay. Right. Guy wears pride tape on a stick for warmups. Is that right or wrong? All of us are like, that's right. Who cares? Right. Guy wears a swastika on his jersey, <laughs> on his shoulder. That's probably fucking wrong, right? We can all make that decision. That's wrong. It's not that hard. Right. Let's just come to a, you know, a general agreement. We can, we know what's right and what's wrong. And we all know it. Don't try to tell me something that's not wrong is wrong because you're being a little bitch about it. You're not offended. Just fucking look away. Close your eyes. Don't watch. Yeah. And I just think even with such an emotional election coming up in the next year, it's like people just pick sides. It's like, dude, who fucking oh, yeah. cares about I think that's enough on that topic, Azo. Let's move over to the gridiron. And, well, let's start with our live and five turkey bowl draft. So for the folks that listened last week, we drafted up a receiver, a quarterback, a running back, and a flex position with myself, Azo, and Mace. Uh, total PPR scoring for every team that played on Thanksgiving. So that was led off by the Packers visiting the Detroit Lions. You also had the Washington Commanders playing Jerry Jones's Cowboys and finished off with the Seahawks and 49ers. So he's not with us, Azo, but I hope he's listening because we want to give him a couple of clicks here. Yeah. Jackie Mason, this year's well winner done. of the Turkey Bowl draft, edging out Swish by 0.9 points on the PPR system. And I think he just barely clipped Ozzo by four. So it was really close. Uh, Jackie's team of St. Brown, Dak, Laporta, and Gibbs totaled to 79 points and 79.74. So I respect that on a Mace. There goes my hero, baby. (laughs) um, That's awesome. Mace, we'll have to do something for that, brother. Uh, Ozzy. 
I don't think we're going to hold you to it. We talked about it a little bit. We aren't going to make you go either wrench out or the mere pitcher uh, shirtless there. So we'll talk about something. Maybe you just got the next round of drinks wherever <laughs> I do see you because I'm not going to make you go, you know, nipples <laughs> out uh, in front of a mirror. We're going to have to do a push-up pyramid before to make sure you're looking high. Well, you know, if I'm posting that picture, I'm doing an absolute bicep workout before. Oh, you might be cupped in. Bench. Oh, yeah. you, might be cup, you might be going White Goodman with the with a dick pic pump. You put know? some edit. Put some edits on there. You know, yeah. <laughs> make it look good. You might be pumping up the old shock doctor, fella. You know, just making <laughs> sure you're looking nice down there. The wrench. Um, let's get to our picks quickly. Uh, my lock was the Packers at plus seven five or plus eight, depending on what you got them at. Oswald, what'd you have again? I had the Bears. I hedgehogged it. Yeah, you did, you hedgehog, you old sailor, you. Yep. Fuck yeah. So you had that. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on, Ozzy, Turkey Day. It's a lot of football, bro. Like, I tweeted it out on the day as I'm sitting there just barrel hanging off the couch, can barely fucking see. What if you had some sort of variety pack in terms of multi-sports on Turkey Day? Because by the third football game, I love football, but... I'm a little bit footballed out. Like, can't we get NFL, maybe an NBA game followed by an NHL game, and then maybe a Sunday nighter just to kind of ride off into the sunset? What are your thoughts on three football games? Do you like it or talk to me on this? No, I, I honestly just, I kind of prefer two, two is nice, but I just like watching the lions on Thanksgiving. It's tricky. Whoever the Lions are playing, you watch the Lions, you know, they eat the turkey after. That's enough for me. Like you said, it's a lot of football. And, um, you know, it seems like watching football nowadays is just watching ads. You know, it's it, whether it's college football, whether it's NFL, it's like, I mean, they, they, they really only play the game for like 10 minutes. And then the rest is like production show. And it's just like, yeah. it was too much. Like you said, I'm on your side on that. It's just too much. I think two is fine. Three was, I didn't even watch the third game. I'll be honest. I was yeah, out. I uh, I was in and out of that game. I was on the couch, just felt like I took an ambient after a little turkey and a little ham. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think it's just such a show. It's such a, just a production. And speaking of production, did you catch Jackie Harlow? how bad that was <laughs> the in-game oh entertainment. God. I mean, that might've been the worst concert I've seen on TV or performance of all time. I mean, that was straight out of like a 1999 prom. Like he's sitting in the middle of a gymnasium yeah. playing for his buddies like that. I, I like Harlow too. Like he's good. Like he's I, great. You know, first he's class. Awesome. It's a yeah. fucking banger. He, I'll drink that awesome. all day. But 100%. Like, what the fuck was that? I was kind of excited to see his performance and he walked out and I was like, almost, I was feeling awkward. I was like, what is he, what is, first off, I don't know, I don't know how that goes on with these artists. You know, if, if the artist is the one in charge of like how the show goes and how the, you know, the live, you know, you're doing a halftime show in front of the entire nation, pretty much. Who is the artist taking care of that? Like is Jackie Harlow making those decisions or did he fire his production team like the day before and he just had to do it himself like it was basically just him up there by himself i feel like you do these halftime shows you gotta have cheerleaders you gotta have a thousand people up there dancing around you gotta have 
Yeah, you got to have crazy wires flying you through the air and shit. Like, why not? I mean, it's that's what you do. And he did, it looked like he just fucking showed up and with his, you know, his snowsuit on and just started singing. Yeah, it's just, I mean, that, that setup was literally like out of a glamour shots at the Columbia Mall in Grand Forks. I mean, what, yeah. what was that? It was just like, what the it's fuck was terrible. The, his, his dude behind it's him? Like and cheaped like, out. Yeah, I don't know. So that that wasn't perfect. I mean, you got a guy like Luda flying through the goddamn sky down at the Mercedes-Benz dome, you know, going, move, yeah. bitch, get out the way as he's cranking <laughs> it down. So that was nails. Ozzy, what would you have for your celly of the week? Yeah, I had uh... – it was it was quite clear to me this one was uh CJ CJ Stroud and the stand up the stand up boy and then it, it was from the movie Baby Boy um you know yep. I think what's his name Tyrese Gibson and Snoop Dogg's in it, it it's kind of a, a culture of the black community it, it it's one of their movies but it's a great movie it's hilarious I don't know if everyone caught that but that's a scene off that show and it was unbelievable. It was it was, di- it was dialed in. You know, he, he shoots the guy and walks away. Is I was wondering um, what that was. I, that was I, my I favorite didn't, one. Didn't, yeah, didn't it was, it was on a that, scene from it? Baby Boy with Tyrese and Snoop okay. and all those guys. So yeah, Love Tyrese. Yeah, unbelievable. Good. Talk about a good chin throwing both. I had Zay Flowers from the Baltimore yeah. Ravens, the penalty kick, and then the Cristiano Ronaldo Selly. I love that. And then Mike Tarico on the call scene. Go! like that was it was so (laughs) perfect and then another funny one was Dak actually taking a turkey what was it a drumstick out of the Salvation Army bucket and mucking it mid-game I mean that's pretty fucking nails (laughs) yeah yeah I love those sellies man they're they're the best and and um the defensive sellies too that where the whole team gets in on it and takes the picture in the end zone I, I always enjoy watching those for sure. And just quickly, Azo, moving along to week 13 in the National Football League, have you looked at the big board yet? I know it's Tuesday. It's hard to make a prediction in terms of what stands out to you. But have you had a minute or a second to look at just maybe one game that is Azo's lock? Yeah. Um, let me think on this for a second. I think... I I don't like I don't like the Chargers, but they're going into New England and I think that New England team has completely given up. They are done. They're gonna try to get Caleb Williams. They're so fucking bad this year. So I'm gonna take the Chargers minus six at Foxborough at the lighthouse. Um I just think Justin Herbert, like man, Justin Herbert, if you watch him, he's a he's a dog out there. I know the I know the Chargers aren't very well coached, but um herbert brings his game and i think he's gonna destroy this patriots team i like that i like that yeah it's just hard to make a prediction sitting here on a tuesday if i'm gonna be honest but for the love of the goddamn game this one stands out to me as a low over under i'm gonna take a page out of mace's book here chiefs at pack the over under is set at 42 and a hook i just think that's low Mm -hmm. what do i know but I think that's a low number. I'm always, I always kind of flirt the line at about 46, 47. If it's under that, I will hammer the over. So I'm going to go over there. I think Jay Love stays hot. I think my homeboy is going to get it going. So I like that for my lock. Uh, nail gun of the week, Azo. I'm going to start us off. Tyson Baker, 
National Hockey League linesman who was dialed in and attentive enough to brace Dennis Gilbert's coconut as he fell to the ice in that fight against Mike McCarron. Uh, Flames at Nashville. It was about a week ago. So get that guy a stiff one. Get him a nice fucking mixy 90-10 because that was a great play. He was very attentive in there. Linesman Tyson Baker as my nail gun of the week. That that was nails. How how do you have how do you have the awareness to pull that off so quick and, and be that quick in there? Like it's almost like he expected it to happen. Um you just don't see that type of reaction out of people. Um but <clears throat> I've got my nail gun of the week here. Um let's see. What did I write down his name here? His name is I just have Davison football player, okay? He, oh, yeah, this, I, I saw some. What was that again? You see this? Okay, so I'll read it off real quick. So that's Davison football player, unbelievable. Just a, I mean, look at the, look at this guy's face, man. I mean, he's, it's hilarious. Yeah. Just like he's got the chops. Just yeah, an old just, white boy. Just a football guy. But anyways, he writes, he writes to Davidson here, to Wildcat Nation. Over the last four years, I've had the incredible opportunity to serve diligently as a career backup offensive lineman here at Davidson College. While I only played during blowouts or when starters got injured, I refused to let that stop me from being a scrappy, sneaky, athletic, fundamental, high football IQ lunch pail guy. Many of you may ask yourselves, if he barely saw playing time at, at a non-scholarship FCS program, why does this guy think he has any chance in the NFL? This is an entirely reasonable reaction. I don't blame any of you for thinking this. I'll provide roughly zero on-field value for an NFL franchise, but I'd probably be pretty fun to have around. Thank you, Davidson Football. It has been an honor, and I'll be a Wildcat forever. <laughs> <laughs> Love Declaring that. Declaring for the draft, Stone <laughs> Declares for the draft. Unbelievable. Good locker room guy. I'd fucking sign the guy. Fucking sign him right now. Get to, he doesn't even need to go to the combine. We know we're getting we're getting glue. So, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, definitely a guy you'd want to have a beer with. Probably at a nice little fucking small town bar. That's just you got a funny name like the Squirrel's Nest or something, you know. So, oh, he'd drain fucking thirty of them, and drive home. Oh yeah, stick candle is right out of the parking lot, folks. There he goes, um, <laughs> Ozzy. Last shout out I wanted to give uh, live from the underground is the Flying Hawaiian out of Verona, Wisconsin. Do you remember DJ Soy Sauce from the Players Ball years yes, back? Yes, of course. So Eddie Matsushima, who I went to school with at Verona, Verona High, you know, a ten, town of like 10,000, 12,000 people, is still playing in the Eastern Hockey League. That is the easy come, hard to leave, the cheese toast, ECHL. A guy that played D3, worked his way up from the Southern Provincial Hockey League and then to the East Coast Hockey League. Actually signed a one-year deal with the San Diego Gulls this year on an American League deal. No way. Uh, yes, lighting up the East Coast League. 18 points in 13 games. That is good for seven goals and 11 assists for the Tulsa Oilers. So give this guy a fucking game in the jungle. I mean, he's worked his way up from God D3 damn. River Give Ball. it to him, man. You got to give it to him. He DJs in the summer. He went to yeah. the Players Ball with the boys. So someone... San Diego goals. Give this guy a fucking game. Give DJ Soy Sauce one game because I know for a fact that that one game in the American Hockey League for Soy would be like playing in the National. Oh, 100% it would be. And a lot of those D3 guys, it's like playing in the National if you make it to the coast. Yep. Like that's an insane story. Holy fuck. Get this. He needs a game. 
get this guy a fucking game. So Ozzy, that was a great snap. I believe the listeners were going to like this episode we have with former NFL linebacker Brian Peters. He has a great story, um, a good chin, just a nail gun. He's doing really cool things now in terms of you know, a mental skills coach, breath coach, uh, just a guy that's a warrior, had to earn everything he ever earned. So, or sorry, he had to work for everything he earned. So let's send it over, Pete. Ozzy, good snap. As always, tape to tape, fella. Woo! Yeah. Here we go, folks. It's time! Fighting! Folks, now introducing... From the cornfields of Pickerington, Ohio, former National Football League linebacker and Canadian Football League Grey Cup champion. This Northwestern grad and first-team All-Big Ten linebacker set a school record accumulating 301 tackles over his time in Evanston. A pure savage and ultimate nail gun, this guy worked his way to the NFL ranks through the Indoor Football League, the United Football League, and eventually through the frozen prairies of Saskatchewan in the CFL. He is now teaching young athletes and professionals how to gain edges and to reach their ultimate goals with a company he founded, Breathing for Performance. Without further ado, please welcome Brian Peters to the Live and Five podcast. BP, what's up, baby? How let's go, let's go. Just the absolute juiciest electric factory intro I've ever had. I love it. <laughs> A slight stumble there, but I gained it back, and I said, hey, you know what? It's okay. Low and slow here, Jay. Yeah. It was long-winded, but BP, dude, it's great to talk to you. How you doing, man? And thank you for taking the time, obviously, to join the boys over here. You're a complete nail gun, so it's always fun to pick your brain, but where are we at right now, brother? What's shaking? Dude, Columbus, Ohio's home, so that's why I'm rarely here because I'm on the road coaching the breath work and exposure and the mental skills for athletes, and then I've branched into military and fire department, first responders and stuff. So, like, I'm busy. I'm learning myself. I got a, I got a girl out in Idaho that's off-grid, so I'm, I'm just full-blooded gypsy, but I uh, love in life. For sure. And, you know, I have always followed your stuff, even when you were kind of transitioning from playing into what you're doing now. And back then, BP, when I first initially met you, you were running this company uh, with your buddy just in terms of it was MindStrong and now it is Breathing for Performance. So I guess I wanted to ask you and I want the folks to kind of lean into this a little bit and just get a little bit more background in terms of what it actually is, because when I started working with you guys and especially you, like the training was crazy, man. We were doing like two to three minute breath holds. We were doing this sauna, cold exposure. We were even doing things of like getting on the rower, doing a thousand meters with our mouth taped and like borderline passing out. So we were doing, and you guys were, and especially you were, you were just, you were trying all these different techniques and things to, to really gain an edge on your opponents or your competition. So just talk me through like how that was founded and what you're doing now. And are you still teaching the similar things that I was doing with you, you know, five, six, seven years ago? Yeah. And it's uh, I mean, it's a fun story in general and I, I've adapted it pretty aggressively since then, even though that sounds aggressive uh, <laughs> in its own sense with mouth taping and aerobic capacity stuff. But like I found it in a really interesting way where after my first year with the Texans, so this is like 15 going into 16, we got a new strength coach and right after the season, our team started paying for the sensory deprivation chamber, like the float tanks where it's like, 
no sound. You're in a pod floating in salt water and stuff like that. And I've the first time I did it was JJ Watt actually had a salt a float tank built into his bathroom, and I wanted to try it. And then our team started paying for it. But I was at JJ's house, and I started. I felt like I was rotating. It was like I lost my shit, and I got out. And then the team started paying for it. I went, and I couldn't like handle my thoughts. It was basically like forced meditation. So I ended up just like kind of trying to overcome that by holding my breath in there and just being competitive. Cause all I had was my watch, like no light, no sound, that kind of thing. And I Google how do I hold my breath longer? And it was free diving in Wim Hof. And I just went down that rabbit hole and my business partner at the time, Harvey Martin, he was kind of in a bad place with transitioning from baseball. I think he had like the yips, not like just like, the transition's rough for everybody, but he found like the Wim Hof method where jump in cold water. I think he met our guy Dedon at the gym, saw him doing Wim Hof and just sat up to him. Me and Harvey went to high school together for a couple years, like junior high, high school to couple for together for a couple years. And on my crazy football journey from Northwestern arena, UFL Canadian league, I stopped in Minnesota for a year and that's where Harvard like put his head down uh, to help with mash baseball. Awesome humans again. Shout out uh, Steve-O and Tom, but they, uh, so he was teaching like pitching and that kind of thing, like coaching kids. And anyways, we linked up there, stayed in touch. I found the breathing stuff like for performance. And then he found it kind of for the psychophysiological effect. And to finish my initial story, when I got to hold up my breath to like holding my breath to like four, four and a half minutes, our new strength coach came in, which is like three months after I started this shit and determined that our NFL football team through Nordboard testing and FMS scores was physically unfit to run. Telling an NFL football team that you're physically unfit to run is pretty crazy. But and he like got up there and did the whole state of the union. I don't care if you're DeAndre Hopkins, JJ Watt. No, nobody runs or you're cut and whatever. We, nobody really ran. And we got back to running and the second day we started running, he tried to run us into the ground with conditioning. And right then I just knew there's a, there's magic to this breath holding stuff at least. And that was the CO2 tolerance stuff. And, but like, I, I was up running with the DBs and the receivers. I was 242 pounds at the time and I could hear everybody breathing like Unit. inefficiently. Yeah. And I, I, I was like, I was 20 pounds more than what I am right now. Oh, yeah. But, uh, Anyway, so I, then we went down the rabbit hole. Like we paid for uh, Brian McKenzie to mentor primarily Harvey, uh, myself a little bit, and then it just kind of took off from there. And so, like I was coaching some NHL guys when I was still playing, and then because uh, like Harvey was using the stuff PED stuff, I was going like that's down that rabbit hole chasing edges there. And then we kind of built out programming, and uh, it just kind of took off. And then I finished playing, like went eventually went full-time into the breath coaching and exposure stuff. And then uh, me and Harvey went our separate ways. And then I've just gone hard in the paint ever since I've been learning from anybody I can get around. And now I've, I have my own in, es in essence, like brand and tactical uh, appliance of the skills for performance. And it's been, been pretty cool to see pro players from all sports, even just like all the gen pop humans gravitating towards like the simplicity and the application of the breath work. And now it's just like off and running. That's long, unreal. Yeah. Long, long winded uh, what, transition. Peter, you said, you said when you were got in the float tank, you couldn't, you couldn't handle your thoughts. 
Now I've heard about these float tanks and I've heard that's the, de- that's the deal and everyone gets scared and they can only last so long. I mean, can you describe like, what, what are you thinking about in there? That scares you. It's not like a scary thing. So the first time, like I literally just, it, it's almost like, like a heavy dose of shrooms or something where you, like you, you feel like I felt like literally I was rotating backwards and I, I, it wasn't like a queasiness to like puke or anything, but like, I was like, I don't understand this. I'm out. And also like JJ was having a pool party after that. So I had like a carrot <laughs> tempting me out of there. Yeah, but, yeah. but then, uh, but then the next time I went, I like my distraction was holding my breath. And, but like, really it was, I mean, this goes down a massive like self reflection rabbit hole, but it was like, I'd never sat with my thoughts. I was like, I was a very go, go, go. Once I put my mind to something, I set structure to it and I go and execute. And at the time I knew I could play football and I wanted to play in the NFL. I I just got there. I wanted to protect the dream and that's what I was doing. Um, But there's so much more to my, myself and my consciousness that like I hadn't even begun to tap into and my ability to talk to myself and my self-talk was never like accurately addressed. And so you get in there and you're just like mind wanders and it just keeps going like rabbit holes. And eventually like I was able to, the breathing was the, in essence, the distraction at the time. But then around that same time I started journaling and I started asking myself questions and learning from different folks where it's just like, all right, there's more than the football identity like there's a there's a human here that needs to seek balance on top of this work capacity and it just became like a an endless pursuit and i mean I st- i'm still pursuing the same balance of work and rest today it's just in a different format than nfl for sure, for sure pete and i i think i've had the same experience the the couple times i've done the float tanks i've actually i remember i was doing one in san antonio when i got sent down to the jungle and you guys had recommended me to go try one and me being the idiot I was, I think I went in there a little half cooked. And after like five minutes, I'm like, holy fuck, I got to get out of here. You know, you take a little edible or something. I'm like looking around. Yeah. I'm like, all right, that's enough. Open the hatch of this bitch and I'm getting out of here. But um, it's funny you say that because do you remember when you came down to Phoenix? It was during like COVID and we were doing the breath work in the back of my brother's yard. And we were, you know, we were doing those breath holds where you basically would hold your breath and try to walk down like 20 yards and back. And then basically you know, go as long as you can to hold your breath, maybe even do like a little bit of a high knee exercise and then get back to a point of, you know, basically your brain is scrambling to, you know, get oxygen. And then you're basically have to like try to recover without like panicking within your breath. Like what was like some of that sort of training? Like even just to tell the folks, like what was that actually doing for you? Was it teaching you how to only expand your lungs or what was that exactly? I mean, it's a, it's an excellent modality just for humans in general, but it's, uh, it's, it's special in the sense I, I learned it from Laird and Gabby Hamilton and PJ Nessler with XPT. I, we've all, I, I watched them do it, eventually got connected with them and, uh, was lucky enough to go train at their house and do one of their events in, uh, Kauai with them. And the pool training is just another level. It's, it's an easier modality than doing the suffocation stuff on land. Cause you can cheat, you can get sips of air. There's not as much fear. And particularly with my like fighters uh, now, like water stresses most people out until like you learn what you're doing and learn. It's really just teaching stress inoculation or the ability to stay calm and chaos. And a lot of times you'll see people get in the cold tub or the pool or do other suffocation work. And they try and like muscle through it, which is like the boys kind of way. It's like, oh, we're tough. We can get through anything. But like 
suffocation's undefeated. Like the water, like water's undefeated. Like you're not gonna like you're not gonna like beat it by trying harder. Like yeah. how you progress is like just beneath the surface of the water is like magical to myself in general, anyways, because you it's such a clear, concise view of what you have a hundred percent and how you move every step, every reach, um, how much stress you're holding or emotional fear and doubt you're holding in your body shows up in energy conservation or energy abuse. So it's like, okay, now how calm can I stay? What muscles am I wasting energy on contracting? Um, what's my mind doing? Cause like brain eats up energy too. So it's like, basically you, I use the, the pool now to breadcrumb guys into energy conservation tactics, which a lot of the, the breathing stuff ends up being, can I downreg faster than you? Can I breathe less than my opponent? And you see it in UFC fights where the guy dogs out first. Their physiology tells you what's happening. Starts panting like a dog, eyes drop, all that stuff. So it's just like, okay, that's the language. The, the modality for the day is the pool. And yeah, like you're, you're beating stress and you're beating like the fear of drowning and that kind of thing. But really, it's for me as a coach, it's an opportunity to see how efficiently you move, how efficiently you handle like fear, stress and in, in, in general, and then how far can you push yourself? Because as long as you don't hyperventilate, like overbreathe, like Wim Hof breathing into the pool, like you're going to be fine. It's like mm -hmm. pass, passing out is really, really, really hard in the pool if you don't hyperventilate. That's where people get in trouble. For sure. And I just want to do, you know, before we get into your playing career, because you do have such a cool story, like some guys that you played with at the professional level, you know, even the highest levels of the NFL or guys you've trained, you've seen in other sport, like who's one guy that is just a complete nail gun, like we like to call it, just a savage in terms of maybe even coached him a little bit or you just saw through sport and were like, wow, this guy, he's got it all. And you could add a little things to him, but who are, who are some guys that just kind of stick out in terms of just being savages and, you know, guys you've worked with or have just seen, you know, over your years? Yeah. Um, savages would the first person that comes to mind is Brian Cushing. Um, good buddy of mine, but he, uh, yeah, absolute nail gun of a human, but he <laughs> like, I, well, yeah. And like, and like, like we were boys the whole time we played, but I didn't understand the human until like, I even, I podcasted him and had saw another side of the human that I wish I knew when he was playing, it would have maybe demystified the human a little bit, but he, his discipline, attention to detail, obviously like I'm a sup guy. And then he kind of took me under his wing there. Like we we're using the same IV guys. I like, I was using his functional masseuse, all these things. And so like he won, like I, I respect anybody that doesn't like protect their shit. Like, like once you're on the same team, like rising tide lifts all ships. Like as long as like you get, like he gets his stuff taken care of. Like I've, been, I've just been around humans that protect knowledge uh, for their own like self or sake when you're in a team environment to me like that doesn't make sense if you're trying to win and you're trying to get everybody yeah. recovered and and fueled and stuff so that was always something that when people were open with whether knowledge resources um, advice those kind of things I always admired that in humans and Kush was a, a really good human in that regard but the special thing about him was his intensity from the moment he stepped in the in the building um, and he was the same, same person every day. Like I'm a believer that one of the best words to describe like a true professional is they're predictable. And he personifies that to do, you know, what cush you got every day, every time he stepped on the field, 
The dude treats every snap like a street fight. That's predictable. Good or bad play, the next play, he's going to be the same badass motherfucker. And a lot of people don't, like, they, they hear predictable and they hear, like, oh, we know what he's going to do. He's not, like, but, like, that is, that's the definition of me. Like, psychologically and physically, like, if I'm a coach and my player shows up and he's the same person every day, same intensity, I use less energy to coach the savage. And, like, now, and that bleeds off on other people, but he, um, but then you see, like, outside of football, you see the other side of the human. Great dad. He, dude, he's basically a full-time coach for uh, two of his sons right now. And there are monsters. Like, ripped up eight packs. He's been, like, they've been <laughs> rolling, they've been rolling jujitsu since they were three. He's been having doing, like, grip training on the monkey bars since the same age. Um, I think one kid just scored eight touchdowns in a football game. Like, but he, dude, he cares so much and he coaches them so hard. And he taught the kids that, like, the hard coaching <clears> – <throat> isn't negative it's just like feedback for them so the kids like give it back to them so their baseline of being scared is not brian cushing so i don't know who they're going to be scared of in general but i think it's really cool the balanced human he is and obviously he's a, he's a great husband all these things across the board but it's cool to see the dynamic of who who's a savage like in the and and intentionally put that mask on when he walked in the door and then when he walked out did he he went home awesome dad like great husband, like much different human than in the building. And I, I even coach that now when I start talking about guys um, having the ability to balance and change states. I use breathing to change states, sympathetic, parasympathetic, up-reg and down-regging and in and out of scenarios. You, you can breathe yourself into how you want to feel. And so particularly him, like it was so cool for him to change mass. So now I coach the same thing for humans because you don't have to be the same person all day. And really you shouldn't be. Right, man, he would absolutely crack dudes, man. He would just flat on smack. Remember dudes. when he? Remember when he headbutted that guy without his helmet on? He headbutted the guy insane. with his helmet like, on. He would it was like insane. Leaking oil, leaking blood. Like he had like that hockey fighter heavyweight kind of mentality. Did like, 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 like he was insane. Ver verbatim, he treated every snap like a street fight, and he and he. <laughs> yeah. and he, he, he and and he dude like my, my my favorite cushing thing is like he i don't know if he would go out of his way to do so but he threw up before every game and he would most likely strategically throw up during team prayer and so <laughs> um but like but dude he's the man like it was you just, uh, pull, you just have to like pull trigger like i know like goalies in hockey some guys have to do that before every game because they get so nervous but those just nerves yeah. or is that just like a a churdy or a tradition i like to call it he built into is just his regiment like that's he just kush had to throw I, up i don't know like like but like i do i coach against that like that that queasiness like that change that, that's your body changing states like you don't want to play asleep your body's right. shifting into fight flight so it's like that sympathetic thing. That's blood leaving the stomach. It's going to the extremities. Like anybody that thinks, oh, I'm queasy. I'm going to throw up and is like, like ashamed of their body, like for doing that. No, like you're going, you're going to a fight. You better have blood where it needs to be. And yeah, so, so like true. people always just kind of look down on like, oh, I'm nervous. My stomach that blah, 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 or butterflies is what everybody calls them. But it's like, that's a great thing for high performance in my opinion. But uh, I just, sure. uh, yeah. I, I just I always think that the the throwing up before a game is funny. You know, do you, do you think do you think that I like to think you can train yourself to have that type of discipline to bring it every day, treat every snap like it's a street fight, 
And I mean, I know people say, you know, it might be personality, just who the guy is, which is probably part of it, but there's, there's gotta be days. He doesn't feel well and he still shows up like that dog. He is, you know, even though he's not feeling too well. I mean, did you see him? Like, did, did you see him do anything to like train himself to be this way? Or, you know, like, how do you bring it every day? Every time you step in the locker room, every snap, like it's just, that's such a hard skill to master. And it's just, there's gotta be a way he's doing it. Yeah, and like uh, I didn't really learn until I started asking him questions. But and like I, I'm speaking from speculation in that aspect. But what he's told me is that he, his dad made it very clear to him very young that when you cross the line onto the field, like the physical lines of the field, there's no friends. Like that, like that, like that's just part of the game. Like you, you play with intensity, and he respected the privilege of playing professional sports so much that that was enough purpose enough motivation every day like like you would have never known until you asked him like how much he defended his locker and things like that and I think everybody finds their purpose I had my my purpose always kind of changed um but you always got to keep that proximity to your purpose pretty close I think he was elite at doing that and he didn't articulate True. it he would like he had the per like he was basically like a bully from an 80s movie in the <laughs> locker room but he uh <laughs> But until you got to know the human, you understand how like the dude cared about the game so much. So and like there's a, there, and I can tell a hundred stories about a hundred guys are, are similar. He just I, I got to know him and then it was just so apparent how intense that human played on the football field that it was just like it's scarred into my soul at this point now. Yeah. So sick. He had the war paint on too. I know you were a big war paint guy too. Yeah. Just lather the fucking eye black on like you got Mel Gibson from Braveheart. Just you know, yeah. it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. But Pete, if I guess if we back it up, you know, let's start from the beginning here, brother. Let's you grew up in Pickering, Ontario or Pickering, Ohio. Sorry, Pickering Tin. Talk yeah, about Jordan. Uh, no, which the, is basically no, the boy the boys always used to uh fuck around and say pickerington town fieldsville from whatever movie that was but uh yeah, well, it's, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, not a very movie, common name. is that mr deeds or whatever yeah i think that's mr deeds yeah, yeah. i think it's deedsy um so you grow up there just uh, you know slightly southeast of columbus like what was a young brian peters up to was he just cracking dudes on the gridiron were you playing football were you playing any other sports or you know, how did your love for the game of pigskin really start? Were you a basketball player? Like, what were you doing growing up? No, I was a, I was a baseball guy for the majority, like, up until high school. Um, I started playing football in seventh grade, and I was, like, a backup. Um, backup most of seventh and eighth grade. Then I started playing quarterback and all this stuff. But, no, I, I played every sport. I, I stopped playing basketball, like, sophomore year or something like that. But I was uh, doing baseball and track in the same season. Uh uh, football eventually took priority over all that but honestly like my coaches instilled that love for the game in me but it was the physical side of the game like we're like we would always do this like seven on seven kind of pass out game and we treated it full contact my entire like ever since i got introduced to the game and we called it max four but we were decapitating guys like like doesn't freshman senior doesn't matter you hit whoever moves oh, and uh football and so we had a we had a really cool coaching staff that I'm still in touch with to this day, and dude, they made me fall in love with the game. And I was I ended up being this free safety that was quarterback in the defense. So they taught me the game, they taught me how to play it right, and they taught me like how to be physical, even up to the point where once I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to Northwestern, 
I showed up that first summer and you we have like player run seven on sevens and I decapitated our 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 best receiver on like day <laughs> one and like basically got into a fist fight like a pushing pulling like kind of swinging over people match and like ever since then I was like okay so Pickerington was different <laughs> like we right. like so people <laughs> yeah. oh people don't do this um and so anyways like it just kind of grew from there and then Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald like that he did he grew me up at Northwestern but I did I didn't I didn't plan to be an NFL guy by any means like the 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 fun thing about my journey was it was all pretty organic like I got interest to pitch in baseball in college and things like that and then uh football I started getting scholarship offers to like Air Force and Mac schools my sophomore year so I slowly honed and did more track than baseball and eventually it just like football took off but then I get to Northwestern and now, and I was a late offer, like late scholarship offer, those kind of things. And like, I get there and it's like, Oh, I think I, I can play here. Like that kind of thing. And so eventually like I, I was pissed. I red shirted, didn't really want to stay there. It was a private school. Like even when I didn't even know that, like I said the name of the school wrong when I committed, I was like, I'm ex- ready to come to the university of Northwestern. And my coach is like, well, it's Northwestern university, but we'll fix that next year. And so, but anyways, it's just like this whole thing. Uh, I eventually got a chance to play special teams. Like, okay, I can be good at that. Oh, like I can beat the guy out in front of me. Okay, I did that. Didn't really plan on going to the NFL till like I had a couple picks my junior year. Like, oh, I'll, I'll take a run at it. And then was a captain. And then I had like a first team All Big Ten senior season, led Big Ten in interceptions, and thought I had a shot. And I didn't didn't get a call on draft day. The only person that called me was Coach Fitz. And with the body of work, I was like, I don't understand why I'm not getting a shot. So I was like just frustrated. And then I get Fitz gets me in to do like a rookie mini camp where you go try out and try and take all the like draft one of the draft guys or the undrafted free agent contract spots. And I was competing against uh Mark Barron and a couple cool. other draft picks. And I'm like, I can play with this guy. And that's where my kind of journey just sparked and I knew I could play and that was like my reason for the most part to fight through everything I did. But it was also like part of my motivation was fear of the real world. I didn't want a nine to five. I knew like I knew that was never for me and literally was just like deathly scared of that on top of knowing I can play. And then I just went to work to make it happen. So I, I ended up, I mean, I started working as a like personal trainer initially to like just, pay the bills i was sleeping on my couch behind my two of my buddies that went into the workforces uh uh i was sleeping on a bed behind their couch in their apartment and rogers park which is rough at the time in chicago and then i get my agent sends me out to uh iowa to work out for the iowa barnstormers arena football league and he basically told me i was already on the team and i get out there and it's a 13-man tryout for two spots what through the tryout earn one of the spots was playing football for 300 bucks a week. Um, played there for like four or five weeks and then came back, went and worked out for a UFL team. They ended up signing me, but they ended up cutting me because NFL had their cut. So that whole first season, then like my, my agent basically dropped me. So I sent out emails uh, to CFL, NFL saying, hey, I'm a dog. I'll work hard for you. Here's my tape. Here's my stats. Like, just give me a shot, which is ridiculous looking back. But um get the only thing that responded was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders like come on up for practice squad let's let's take a look at you and so I signed a two-year contract from there 
and was like, all right, I got a shot. And so I was coming back to start working a couple jobs in Chicago and, uh, but I was going to Columbus first. It was actually my birthday when I got back from my first year and or my first couple weeks in Canada. And I got jumped by three bouncers, jaw broken, teeth uprooted mess. Just a, and I know this is a saga of a story, but wired shut how my mandibles cracked. They're like, Oh, you can't play football again. So I'm crushed. Cause I have a two year contract, at least be a pro football player. And my doc, I, I was, I was super in, in the dumps and my doctor comes over. I was sipping, sipping liquid Percocet through a straw. My, again, my teeth wired <laughs> shut. Um, I'm, daddies. <laughs> yeah, dude, but I, I'm, I'm blending up Chipotle. I'm blending up steaks. I'm blending up cookies. I'm drinking oh. like three liters of food ish, um, to maintain my, cause I, I do, I dropped like 15, 20 pounds right away. And then a week after I was on the couch, my doctor comes over, Dr. Eric Serrano, who's like a, a father to me now, but he like, he told me, get the fuck off the couch. You're going to work out. And I wired shut for the next six weeks. I worked out at his house five days a week. Um, he taught me how to supplement, taught me how to train. And just by the time I got my wires off, I got all my weight back plus a couple pounds. I was the strongest, like lower body wise I've ever been in my life. And then I ended up putting together, I ended up going to Northwestern's pro day, even though I was under contract. And I, I gained basically, I gained 17 pounds and ran 10th faster, 40 tested better and everything. I'd picked up long Jesus. snapping. I'd, I've been like, I was just trying to make it. And, but then, so I, I go back to Chicago. I'm working three fucking jobs. I'm training kids. I'm a fucking, basically I'm a Manny. I'm helping uh, a hockey player, his, uh, pick up his kids and train his kid and make him dinner. And I take off and I go train myself at night at a boxing gym, downtown Chicago. And then I'd like run where I could, I'd run at high schools. I'd jump fences. I'd do everything I had to do to make it and get, like get my work in. And then, so eventually worked those jobs through the summer, went back to Canada. Uh, they put me on practice squad. I was just like a hustle bunny up there. Uh, one of our players like in Canada, the, the football is a little different. The field goals are on the goal line. It's whatever, 20 yards longer, 10 yards wider. All three these other, downs. Three downs. Like, <laughs> so uh, funny. Yeah, running start. Like, it, it's actually – I love the game, the CFL football game, dude. I think uh, there's some really? – there, Yeah, dude, there's some magic in it. Like one, like one, like the stress factor that the NFL uh, showed me was definitely higher like I think the level of competition's there. Like it's obviously not to the elite level of the NFL. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's a faster game. Like everybody's a size smaller because the game's faster. You have to run more. There's a faster play clock. There's all these things. More field to cover. Um, but like it was a it was a four four and a half hour workday, and I, I found a mentor up there and Ray Williams, who's a linebacker that played in the league for a few years, and. Uh, he taught me how to like supplement even more. So we'd go to practice like meetings and practice. And then me and him would go train for like 90 minutes after, cause we had so much time. And then, but eventually I got the, one, one of our, the linebacker that was in front of me at the time, uh, he was tracking a post, uh, a post route and he ran into the field goal post and broke his collarbone. And so I got to play and that's really, and then like I balled out on special teams and that's where I, where I made a name for myself in the NFL too. And then the next year I started at linebacker and I was, I was balling on special teams and eventually got my opportunity back with the Minnesota Vikings after a whole, I, I started working out for like the Eagles and the saints and some other teams. And they found out I have some rare blood condition and uh, which is just another obstacle, another problem to solve. 
And so, but I end up going to Minnesota. I don't tell them about my blood condition and uh, they signed me. I ball out in the preseason. They put me on P squad Texans signed me three weeks later and I only played 12 games. I lead the NFL on special teams tackles only playing 12 games balled out and became like a, a special teams leader in Houston for the next four years. And um, I mean, it's, I guess it's uh, the rest is a fairy tale. That's incredible. Yeah. So Pete, like your, your big break was probably getting from the CFL, getting playing time, going into Minnesota and then getting signed by the Texans off the Vikings practice squad, right? Because you had an offer, I believe from the Vikings and didn't you kind of hold on that? And then, you know, you turned it down. Was it like a two-way contract or was it a practice squad? Like walk me through that in terms of how you got to Houston from the Vikings. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool little story because, I, I again, like you just – the right people are in your life at the right time. But uh, so the the deal was like how it works in the NFL. If you get signed if, signed off of another team's practice squad, that team that signed you has to keep you active for three games to get you an accredited season towards pension and all that stuff. And what – like once Houston made me an offer, that offer, which really it's like you're making – I think I was making league men. I was a 26 year old rookie making league men. It was like 25 K or 30 K or something a week, a week, a game. And, uh, but you only get three weeks guaranteed. And then the Minnesota, their counter was to pay me full active salary to stay on the practice squad with a promise to get me up as soon as possible to the active roster to get me an accredited season and all that. And and so my agent calls me, says, Hey, Houston has an offer. I'm at a charity event for the Vikings. Um, like going to, I'm literally walking into an elementary school to the volunteer. And he goes, he goes, I don't care where you're at hop in an Uber. And I, at the time I left my truck at, uh, I can't remember what hockey player's house it was in Minnesota that Harvey and all those guys was it, were was the JVR. I don't know. I don't know if it was James's house. I can't remember whose house it was. I think it was no. the other guy whose family Sexton has a or- yeah, Sexton. There it is. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. He was playing um, in Russia at the time. Yeah, and so they were all staying there. So I left my my Tahoe there. Eventually, had it shipped down. But but, but besides the point, did not to skip the story. But so I Ubered to the airport, and in the, in the same time, all the Minnesota Vikings coaches are calling me saying how important I am, recruiting me again, that kind of thing. And but like, right. I'm, but I'm basically the the decision I'm left with is take a chance on yourself and go play for three games in Houston. And maybe they keep you active. Maybe they cut you and hopefully Minnesota or somebody else signed you. Or I get to stay in Minnesota and basically get $500,000 guaranteed. And so I was like, I'm, I, I walk into the airport. I'm like, wait, I'm the last person to get on the flight. Cause I was at the, I, I walked up to the bar. I was like, I need a double Jack and Coke. I got a decision to make. And <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm talking to my people. I'm thinking to myself, all this stuff. And my college quarterback, Dan Persa, um, who'd been, dude, I slept on the, the bed behind his couch for a year and a half and that kind of thing. He goes, he like th- my first, like I, I already talked to my, my brother a couple of times, my, my parents a couple of times. And the first sentence out of his mouth is like, what the fuck are you doing? He goes, you spent three years in three different leagues to play in the NFL, not practicing that NFL, like get the fuck on the plane. I was like, see ya. Get on the bird, like, baby. So yeah. I, dude, I, I get on the bird. And my, my dad calls me while I'm on the plane. He goes, listen, me and your mom talked and uh, we think you should stay in Minnesota. And <laughs> I was like, I'm on the plane and like uh, everything worked out. I had people in Houston. Um, 
John Simon. I lived with him when I got down there. Just great humans. Uh, welcomed really well down into Houston. And like, I still got my peoples down there. But that was the, that was kind of like the decision point. And then who knows all the other breaks in the road were the right opportunity. Like if I get, if I don't make that 13 man tryout for two spots in the AFL, do I keep playing? Um, did I, did, after I got cut from the UFL, I got cut from a league I didn't want to be in. I was like, oh, this shit's over. I, like, I, it was a hope and a prayer that I emailed out people, let alone they'd respond to an email from a player that never played in the NFL or anything. So anyways, it's just a uh, lot of blessings, grateful for the journey. But it just, um, yeah, it's, it's cool where most of the time, like as long as I, I decided to bet on myself, like I was cool. Yeah. And, Pete, and Pete, like the one thing I respected and still respect about you to this day, like you were just a dog, man. You were just a football player. Like in 2015, you led the league in special team like tackles, I believe, right? You led yep. the whole league. You're, you at least were tied for it. Like what was your mentality? You kind of just touched on it right there in, in the sense of you were willing to do whatever it took. But like were you just going in there every day like your job wasn't guaranteed? I'm just going to go there and fuck it up and one well, more Vince day in the Papali NFL. Vince mindset. Yeah. I mean. that... You had to be living and dying by every day because yeah. who knows with a guy in your position. I mean, you were you ended up being a, a captain on the Houston Texans for three years as a guy that basically came out, you know, in an, on a limb. It's it's just crazy to think about, you know, a guy just going in there and just fucking beating that door down. Yeah, and it's uh dude, it's funny just looking back because like dude, that first year, like I don't I barely remember the year. And to to a couple coaches, uh, I don't know, to their accolade or whatever, to their compliment they like mike vrabel no matter how good i did the week before because he taught me a lot of like mental skills that like i look back now and like great like massively thankful for that human but he's super intense coach like he'll motherfuck you like that kind of thing but no matter how many tackles like i i had which like i i came in like behind the eight balls it was game four and i hadn't even played a game yet and just i started rolling and rolling he goes he goes 20, like 20 tackles is the fucking number. Like you're happy with 10 and it's just like, or like happy with 12. He goes like, he goes, I was a starter on defense and I had 12 one year and they just like always kept chirping me and like kept me on edge. And then another thing that was just like the first, like fucking seven weeks, the pro director of pro personnel, Brian gain would come in to the cafeteria while the players were in there. Wouldn't really talk to anybody, but talk to me every fucking time. And like bless him for this. I don't know why I'm cussing at him, but he, he, um, he would come up and he goes, Hey, you got to use your hands more. Like we need to find somebody else. Like, dude, he would set, he would just send like these one liners that would cut to my soul. That would be like, fuck, I got to go. And like, and then, so like, at, and like, it's funny how the evolution of like your mindset changes. And I look back and like, did I lose my edge? Like all these things. And like, there's different variants of leverage and timing with how veterans practice and all these things. But Dude, what got me there was going balls to the wall every time. That's the only reason I made it in the CFL. Like literally, they like that first my first full season up there. I wore white gloves because what uh, Tampa Bay gave me at rookie mini camp. But I wore white gloves and I wore number fifty. Everybody's called me fifty. Nobody knew my name. But every time the head coach, like they told us to go chase the ball. Like if defense, you got to finish at the ball. And so I was like, all right, I'm taking that to heart. And so any whatever whatever the play run uh, like away from me, I'd run and go hit, like punch the ball, whoever had the ball fade route 50 yards down the field, like incomplete. I'd go and pick up the fucking ball. And like, but he made an <laughs> example. Yeah. He made an example of me early where it's like, Hey, everybody be like 50. 
Everybody be like white gloves. Everybody be like 50. And I was like, okay, if that's my fucking thing, that's my thing. I'm a workhorse. Like, let's ride. Like, I can do this all fucking day if that means I get to keep not being <laughs> working a nine to five and I get to keep living the dream. And when I got to Houston, it was that, like, dude, I like walked through days. Nobody, I wouldn't let anybody block me. And like veterans fucking hated me. And it's funny because when I began, not let anyone block you on a walk. That's oh, funny. yeah. <laughs> no, but no, but but so but I but like, dude, I, I was I was very like observative, I think, because like when I was up in Minnesota, uh, Everson Griffin monster, yeah. um, f- incredibly talented human. But he like and Adrian was the same way. There was no walkthrough tempo like any because what as a backup linebacker, I have to like go on the scout team and then walk through. I'm playing offensive tackle because this happened to me in Houston, too. And I learned again. And Everson Griffin got off as fast as he could every snap and walk through any time. And so because he was training this response, kind of like the Cushing thing. And then, yeah, th- then, then Adrian did the same thing. Like um, when I had to go give like a show look for a walkthrough, like Adrian would like fucking drop his head on me. And I'm like, do this walkthrough. And then, but what I saw is that the best players only have one speed. They have like, they're two, they, they have two speeds. They have like sleep and kill. That's it. Yeah. It's like, it's all out or rest. And so, but I, and so I get to Houston and I see the same thing with Kush and I see the same thing with JJ Watt, primarily because I had to play like right tackle and he was rushing me in walkthroughs. And he, I don't think I, I blocked him twice in like three years of scout team. And, but besides the point, he got off on the ball every time. It was ingrained in him. So it's like, I don't know if it tailors into the game where it's like he never doesn't get off on the snap. And so there's like, there's no room for like this voice to creep in like, oh, slow play. Oh, like they just always have that edge on the field. And I think that's what separates some of the elite players is that hyper competitiveness. And so anyways, like that's how I practiced in Houston for for sure the first two years. And then like I'm in this leadership role. And like I, I let it creep in where it's like, okay, no, we need to keep people healthy. I need to keep myself healthy when really like it's, it's a kind of like emerging in two worlds because I wasn't to the point where, cause I'd learned that last, I trained with Adrian Peterson and Trent Williams opened up a gym in Houston called O athletic. And I went and trained there and the work capacity was off the charts, like so much hard work for three hours every day, unparalleled volume, like, more than any hockey players, like no offense, but every uh, anybody I turned with, that was the, yeah, I believe uh, it. It was absurd. Like we're did we were around like ten three tens in the Houston Heat, then hurdles, and then we'd go lift for an hour and all this stuff. But um, what I learned is that that workhorse wasn't serving me. Anymore. I didn't get faster by working harder uh, and doing more volume and capacity. Um, I start I was starting to learn just a little too late that like okay, I'm to the point now where. When I'm working and getting stressed and, ad- and adapting, now's the time. Smaller windows, more emphasis on recovery. I was into the breathing thing and doing all that stuff already, but I just, I couldn't let go of the workhorse. And so it's like, it's, it's, uh, what's uh, the Icarus paradox? Like Icarus was the Greek mythology guy that when his wings melted, like what got you there doesn't keep you there all the time. So you got to right. understand when to keep learning, keep adapting and, that's something that I always, and that's why I like initially like, my podcast is called chasing edges. And like at some point my performance company is called chasing edges because like when I got cut the first time and when I didn't make the NFL, like I was always just like, how can I get better? How can I get better? What 10 things, what five things, what better supplement? And I, that was in the back of my head, it was called chasing edges. I kept chasing edges. And 
that same thing just showed up once I got into the NFL, but the edge wasn't always work capacity. When I get, when I what like started pushing 30, it was okay. How do I recover? How do I get faster? Because really it's really this like workhorse racehorse analogy. I like that. Like if you look at your sport, like I'm playing m- most of my snaps take five seconds, like five to eight seconds on special teams. Mm-hmm. Like that's a racehorse. That's not a workhorse. Like the Eric Lichter saying that I fucking love is like, you don't plow a field with a Ferrari. Like, like a workhorse is meant for that long, big work capacity. I was a racehorse. And when I was most successful on the football field is when I was playing fast and like, there's no work capacity necessary for that. It's more Twitch. They took away like the running start and kickoff, which uh, I had to like adapt and start training for. But anyways, it's just like my perspective changed and it was, it was, it was cool to look back now and see like what was right and what was wrong in my opinion. And, but like the one constant I always saw was that, the hyper competitive guys that didn't have a walkthrough tempo that had one speed, those were the best players. And like, even like the Tyron Matthews, like his mindset, there's no off plays. Like, granted, he's not moving much as a safety, but his communication was so concise every walkthrough, every practice. Like, it was like, it was special. And like, you see why the dude's still playing. I think he had two picks on Sunday. He's a dog, but the honey badger, baby. The honey badger. And he, dude, he's like, he's a ball and, hawk. Well, that's where, like, like, you know, I love – he's one of my – like, I only played with him for a year. Like, we were captains together in Houston, but he's one of my favorite humans just for the simple fact that he was authentically himself. He was vulnerable. He was a leader. Like, he led by example. Like, like and just, like, you observe these great – like, every, any locker room I stepped in, I, I was like, who's the best? What do they do? And I watched. Like, I, I learned, like, how to be a pro from Chad Greenway. I learned how to be a leader in NFLPA right from him, too. Ray Williams and Mike McCullough in Canada. Like it was just, it was second nature. Like, why are these guys in the league for eight years? Why is this guy an all pro? And I just like, mm. you watch and then eventually you earn their trust and you ask them. And then, okay, they'll tell you how to do it. There's breadcrumbs to the, 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 to the top, but like most people don't want to pay the price or earn the 100%. trust or that kind of thing. For sure. Well, you, like talking about when I think about football, my favorite part about football, thinking about it, is the head coaches or just any of the coaches they're all psycho you know they're just they're football it's not like any other sport they coach differently so like i mean obviously you've played for a bunch of different coaches are there any that you know stick out to you that it's like this guy's he's a football guy i mean frames is a football guy all day and uh bleeds it i like i swear like oh yeah uh, he just it's just it's, it's it's in his dna it's on the front of his mind at all times he uh Dude, he's he's like there's just like the old adages like he's the first there, last to leave. Um, he, like he won't like until every linebacker gets it, you're you're staying there. He uh, dude, he still puts his hands on. He's to this day with the Titans. Like one of my buddies is there yeah. is the DC down there. He's putting hands on guys. He's physical. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he'd beat the shit out of most of the other NFL coaches <laughs> too. But he um, dude, he's still trained. Awesome. Yeah, but he uh, he's a bad dude. But he um. Dude, he lives and breathes football. Um, but again, like I, I talked about it a little bit earlier, but he uh, he taught me so like he, he taught me a big lesson about myself and the fact that I get the most out of myself with negative feedback from people. Like it's it's just like it, yeah. it, that hits my motherfucking button where I like okay, but like but he the one cool thing he did was it, in in essence he kind of explained it in that fact where it's like. He, I'm trying to get you better faster. That's why I'm dog cussing you. Most coaches say like, oh, I'm coaching you hard because I love you. 
But really, like mm-hmm. once once that that flip or that switch flipped, it's like, oh, he's doing this to make me better, the fastest. And now I, I coach on that. I think I may have said it earlier. I've been talking about this stuff all day, but in that same sense, like that negative feedback and criticism is the fastest way to improve. Why would I avoid that? Why do I get? Why would I get emotional responding to a coach yelling at me? All he's doing is giving yeah. me feedback. And so, like, I should hunt feedback. I should hunt coaching, mentorship, all these things. Cause they're the only ones that can give me the best advice to get best fastest. And I wasn't, a, I wasn't a pure linebacker. I was a safety in Canada. It's like linebacker is a little different. It's like a safety hybrid kind of deal, but it's mm-hmm. like, I was a big safety. So I played well linebacker up there, but in the NFL, like I'd never been coached on shocking and shedding and dude, Braves would have me out there just like punching. He'd put this blue pad on his chest and I did punch it until I won. And I didn't win very much initially. Like he would just bury me. Yeah and then call me a pussy and it's just like and it's just like but like but but like i look back and i see that damn that that one that dude cared he wanted to win and like those are the two unmistakable things about mike frable um and he loves the game of football and so and his his football iq was off the chart so if you just sat there and listened to him enough listening to coach other guys or listen to him with other coaches talking through concepts you're like holy shit i don't know football to save my life and yeah. So, I, I, but so Vrabe, when I hear like, like prototypical coach, like Vrabe is that to a T, but that dude's a good human and like he, he, he cares, he wants to win. It's like somebody, he's somebody you want to play for. But if you don't understand Mike Vrabe, you think he's a dick. For sure. NFL coaches are just hilarious. Even a guy like Dan Campbell in Detroit, I think, is a guy that, you know, no matter what sport he was coaching, he's a guy that I look at, he could even coach a sport like hockey to motivate guys. I look at, you know, a guy like Mike Tomlin, who's buying his team black air force ones. Cause they're going into battle before the season. And his claim to fame is never have a losing season, baby. He's like, yeah. there's just so many different characters for NFL coaches, but Pete, something I wanted to ask you, like who's the baddest dude you saw in the national football league? Are we talking Adamican Sue? Are we talking James Harrison? Like when you looked across the gridiron, and you're staring that that other sideline, or maybe you're the captain walking in for the old coin flip before the game. Who are you looking at? And some guys you played against, and you're like, "That's a badass motherfucker right there, baby." Mm. That's <laughs> a, so many Donald. to choose from. <laughs> so many well, to know, choose like, from, probably. Some now of these guys, a- I look at them like I'm, I'm fucking scared, sitting on my goddamn couch right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so like, I mean, we did we have like, like, do we were. Like Houston for a couple of years there, dude. We were Monsters Inc. We had, like, we had JJ. <laughs> we had, do we? JJ is a big ass fucking human. Jadavian Clowney, big human. Oh. Sca- like scary yeah. predator human. Yeah. Cushing, scary. Don't want to be yeah. in an alley with Cush. Um, no. And that like K Jack is this violent little safety nickelback. Like we had like a a, a pretty bad group of dudes. Um, like, dude, just the uh, just the baddest dude because I've seen him train and he's actually punched me in the head boxing and stuff a few times. But and he's still doing it at a high level. Trent Williams, the left tackle, um, but that's somebody I would not want to fight or and be anywhere on the wrong <laughs> side of. Get, get, but a left tackle? Are you kidding me? Yeah, and and me. He's a bad dude, man, and he uh, he's smart. He's a leader. He, uh, dude, he would. So at the gym, I train at sometimes in the off season at OF athletic, I trained there for one full season and sporadically while I was still in Houston, but he would fly the whole Redskins offensive line down there. They train as a group. Um, 
he wasn't this massive runner. He like he knew how to be the racehorse. Basically, he was training boxing like crazy, and we'd box every now and then, and we'd grapple and that kind of thing at this gym. We'd always like cross train, and but dude, his but his feet and his hands and his power and dude, his strength were ungodly. And so like, as far as like you look at him, he's not the biggest freak in the NFL by any chance. But like, that is one of the baddest dudes and one of the most predictable professionals that i know being i don't know what year he's on now it's definitely double digits but he he might even be one of the highest paid left tackles still to this game over 30 which is absurd and uh but i think he's special in that regard but i mean there's like it is it is pretty cool to look at an nfl locker room like you you'd be surprised how like like so turn it back on you who do you who do you think of as freaks in the nfl in the nfl yeah yeah, I mean, Trent Williams would be one. He, he's always clearing. Like, you, you see scuffles in the NFL if, if you're watching the Niners nowadays, and you see Trent Williams walk in, and everyone just fucking scatters. Um, and, I mean, obviously, Jordan mentioned James Harrison. Like, you growing up watching James Harrison. Like, I, was, I, I, th- I thought he was going to pop out of the TV and beat the shit out of me, you know? Like, that guy's got intensity out the fucking roof. Yeah, yeah um, I even look yeah. at guys like Rodney Harrison back in the day. If you were caught going up the middle as a receiver, he was going helmet on helmet. He's knocking your ass out. Like, he was a true gangster on the field. Even like a guy like Aaron Donald these days. Um, I'm trying to think of just like guys that I was like, holy fuck. Like, yeah, dude, one of, I, I one mean, of the biggest, one of the biggest freaks, like physically looking, um, uh, Minnesota guy, uh, Daniel Hunter. So he trained it with oh, us, yeah. at, dude, he trained with us in, at O athletic. So, cause like, uh, I think he's from, he's from Houston, but he, um, one dude, if you just like Google a picture of him, like the, the first picture I saw of him was him at LSU and it looks like he has snakes in his arms. Like he's that yeah. ripped, but he's also like six, six. 260 just shredded and uh and he got to the league and he was like 21 years old which is rare it was rare at the time and so then he like like we were rookies together technically at minnesota and i think he's leading nfl in sacks right now he's a freak but like the craziest thing i've seen is him be like so we had again we had a group of savages we were training with and like that's who i wanted to be around I, i wanted to be around savage to see what they did why they're savages and so it was Adrian Peterson. Cush was there that first year too. Um, Daniil Hunter, uh, obviously Trent Williams. Like it was him and Adrian's gym. But then, the, like Joe Mixon was there. Uh, um, Jameis Winston was there. Uh, <laughs> Jameis getting the hips going. Oh, do yeah, hips going. Dude, he's a he's a character. He's a cartoon character. But um, <laughs> but he do he's so positive. Like yeah. it's like like yeah. I like I've I was only around him that. He and he, dude at the time he had Tim Grover, Michael Jordan's guy, training him, yeah. and then uh, so Tim was hanging around that 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 group too. But um, shit, I'm blanking on all the dogs we had. Melvin Gordon was there in his prime, yeah. prime, and with uh, running back. Yeah, so we have like so we have a bunch of a couple receivers. Um, uh, Jordan Reed, who was a stud tight end for the like we had it was an all star team. Daniil Hunter would beat them in 200 meter dashes. No. And it, oh, yeah, and then like in 300 meter, like we because we run, we run three tens, and this dude when he wanted to go, he would go, and it was it, it was special to watch. And uh, that's crazy. It, like it not not every time, but by but to just to see that dude turn on, particularly like even in like the dog reps, like we one day we ran like 10 three tens, and our rest was like walking back for a minute. It was disgusting. And but like Daniel would start winning some at the end, and you're just like, what is this dude? 
like not on because he knew it wasn't on anything. He was just a kid, but he was a freak, dude. Dude, that's literally a Sub Zero refrigerator and deep freezer next to each other, running down lane. And he's taking up lane seven, eight, and maybe even six. Like oh, that is a fucking freight train. But Pete, take us inside the locker room of an NFL locker room. Like you mentioned it a little bit of just the just the savages, the big boys. Like who are you hanging out with as a linebacker, special teams guy? And after a Sunday night win, who's kind of going out together? Is it just all the single guys going out or is it the defensive guys sticking with each other? Yeah. You know, the offensive guys or position guys? groups. Like, yeah. Is it positions? Like who are you going out with after a Sunday night win down in H town and like, Hey fella, let's go grab some beers. You know, did you have a, a click there or was it the whole team? Uh, well, it's funny, dude, because I've actually talked about this recently, just with some of my buddies that became my buddies. But the first year I got down there, dude, it was like a punch in, punch out kind of thing. Not, but I came from Minnesota, which was probably the best locker room I've been in, because like, so, dude, first day of OTAs, Terrence Newman, who's like a 13 year vet at the time, I'm like, again, nobody knows. Everything's I'm Canadian, and they uh, and Terrence walks up, Terrence walks up to me, he goes, "Hey, you golf." I go, yeah. He goes, you want to go golfing? And then, so we went golfing. It was like me, him, Adam Thielen, and Blair Walsh. So like first day, it was a fun, like it was a cool day to like get to know people. And then, uh, and then he's like, hey, I'm doing this charity event tonight. You want to come with one of my buddies? And so me and him end up being boys right off the bat. But the cool thing about Minnesota, they had this structure where every Thursday night, uh, you'd go out as a position group. And there wasn't a bunch of places that people would go. They'd go to these certain steakhouses or whatever. And so you eat a position group, then you kind of like join forces. Some guys would go home, some guys would go out. It was a really, and like, but I was golfing with the boys on the regular guys were going out to Lake Minnetonka together. Cause guys had houses out there. And then I get to Houston and like, there's like no, so, and like, I wasn't too keen on being social anyways, cause I want to keep my job. But like, I am a guy that likes to go out with the boys for a few cocktails and I was single at the time. So like, I was like looking for a uh, little honey too, but Right, chasing a little trim for sure. Just, just, just a little tail, but um, <laughs> a little trim, doll, it doesn't hurt, eh? Yeah. So, uh, my first year, like the first, I didn't really go out the first like three or four weeks. I was down there, started to establish myself a little bit, and like the goal was just to go out for a few drinks on a Sunday. And honestly, the first person I started going out with was my assistant strength coach, Sean Hayes, who now he was the head. He's the head performance coach for the XFL now, which is perfect because he's like a bit. If you ever watch Hard Knocks, he's the guy on there doing like stone cold steve austin impressions he's a huge awesome human but like me and him link because like i was super into training he had trained under defranco and all these guys so we linked on that he was a social creature that already knew people in houston so the first year i really didn't i didn't really go out much my first year but if i went out it was with him but then then i picked up some of my guys and uh it was never like minnesota but it was it was more social after i got into the charity events so i had people outside of football that were always wanting me to do stuff and then um, Brennan Scarlett was one of my was one of my boys, and DJ Reader was a rookie down there. And uh, we kind of we ended up with a cool little click where we like I like I always tried to have like a, a house that had a pool because like rent was cheap in Houston, and and I, I, that's where I picked up a lot of the pool training stuff too. I was just demoing stuff by myself, super unsafe at the time. Um, but but, uh, but anyway, so I would have like I just started to be in, tried to be a lightning rod. I'd have people over for a cookout, and if guys went out after, cool. But um, then we had a we had a cool group. Like I guess like Ryan Griffin, like like maybe guys you want to know, Jay Prosh, our fullback, Tom Savage, a backup quarterback, 
and then yep. she killed, dude like i mean but at one point dude like we had a group of the boys like watching the the whatever bachelor bachelorette on tuesdays or whatever it was oh, on classic, so like yeah so like uh I, i'm sure it's like any other locker room where like eventually like once you're ingrained in the locker room guys are asking you to do stuff if you want to go out you go out but um it was never as cohesive as minnesota which was just kind of interesting looking back or canada canada was dynamite yeah. locker room i love canadians dude for best. sure, and I, it's just it's just such a different dynamic in terms of a hockey locker room where you have twenty three in the NFL. You know, you usually have about fifty three, and then you have the practice squad. So I was just curious, like, what type of guys hung out? Was it by position, or was it the whole squad, the single guys? So I was just curious there. But BP, you mentioned Canada, and we have a lot of Canadian listeners in terms of guys we played with, and especially from the good province of Sask. So Woo. take us up there. Take us you know, to the great cup, the oldest trophy in sports, brother, you get it done. Like where are you taking the great cup after you win that bad boy? Is it straight to Boston pizza? Are you going to Earl's, you know, to the Earl's uh, like where, for a little chili Boston chicken? Like pizza. where are you we, going, fella? We went to the Earl's girls first. Oh, Yeah. You motorboat son of a bitch. And uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, we, with that great cup year, dude, we had such a, a fun team that was, like talented through and through like we kind of had all the pieces of the puzzle and and we got to play the great cup at home too which was perfect and um did the love did the and so i did, i actually just went back for the 10 year anniversary about a month ago and did the love was there do people still had like my jerseys and uh posters like i was in a calendar and so it, like it was so much love dude I, like saskatchewan is legendary from that aspect but um great people the, yeah, great people, but did the great cup love the riders? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the, the riders, they yeah, no, dude, the, the great cup was a bender. It was, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, uh, dude. So, so from what I remember, we went to Earl's and uh, it, it, it was uh, it was half off wine and salad night, so it was like girls' night, it was ladies' night, and um. So we only so we only drank wine out of the gray cup that night and oh and but so we and, and so so we you're ended great you're doing grapes out of the gray cup oh my god yeah I don't, like, I don't know I don't that's, box that's unbelievable oh, that's so sick I don't know if that's a yeah I don't know if that's street legal but so but we but but so we but do we ended that night we we're in the locker room at the stadium um do like multiple guys like throwing up wine. Like it looked like a damn murder scene. It was so damn funny, but it was like, but it was just the boys. And then we had the parade, which was electric. So many people showed up for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I can't remember all the details of the after party, but it was just, dude, like even coming back 10 years later, the boys didn't miss a beat. Um, yeah, we're just picking up where we left off and everybody like has their, like the, their perspective and their stories from like how the year went and, where who's where now dude. it was just it, it was truly like a special like that was probably one of my favorite moments for sure in football yeah that's unbelievable yeah that's awesome yeah my fa my family came up for the game too because i think they only came to one can canadian game just because uh it was tough to get up there but uh my family was there my brother was out with the boys it was it was fun yeah that's unreal you guys got back had the the old 10-year reunion with the boys that's that's unreal. It's got to be so fun in Sask too. Oh yeah, and yeah. The, the, their new stadium, everything's off the charts. Like it's like, dude, it's 10x better than what we had uh, at the old Taylor Field there. But dude, the 
dude the, fa- the fans were were dynamite and then again like just like we because we had some, i don't know how much you guys follow canadian football but we had like a such a cool roster uh like our canadian like we had fucking awesome canadian like true like players that can play in the nfl caliber canadians too and this like because you guys i mean like you guys had to play play you guys obviously play with a bunch of canadians in the nhl Mm -hmm. and all the all the leagues where it's just like the banter between americans and can and canadians in canada was like dude it was legendary it was so much fun because it's like the one of my favorite little games the guys would play would they would ask Amer like the American players like basic U.S. history questions, and like a lot of times the boys wouldn't know it, which is hilarious. <laughs> and so I would like come and correct everybody, and it was anyways. It just I feel like that's a shit story, but um, anyways, but it was. Also, I, I feel like the writers get brought up on this podcast almost every goddamn episode. Pete, I actually have a oh, Saskatchewan man. Rough Riders jersey with the name bar on the back, Pilsner Twenty Four. One of our, our buddies. <laughs> Shout out to Rhett Gardner. It was his dad's buddy's jersey. He gifted it to me like one year on our annual North Dakota hockey golf trip, like of all the alumni. So it's hilarious. I always wear it. 2-4, which is my number at North Dakota. And the la- the name bar on the back is Pilsner, obviously being the beer of choice there. But Pete, uh, just speaking of benders, I kind of want to just ask you another question in terms of I was always curious, like these guys and especially – you know, during a, a bye week, like what's an NFL bye week look like? Are you going full Giants boat party where you got the Timberlands on, you know, on the yacht? Are you DMing some girl on Instagram saying, I got two tickets to Mexico, baby, we're going to Cabo? Like, talk me through, like, how you're setting up that bye week. Cause I know you got five to seven days off and you're going to fucking floor it, especially if the team is doing well. Yeah. I don't think we, truly ended up with five days off it was always like a four so like you're traveling and so you get like a couple days wherever you're going but uh that's just how ob ran the texans but um oh man i I was actually hurt for i think a couple of my bodies but i I was just laughing because uh so my girlfriend knows nothing about football Mm -hmm. and i told i I told her about bye weeks and she thought it was like a sexual thing (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and so it just like it it cracks me up that that was never a joke in the locker room for some reason but uh besides the point no i uh i usually tried to get home like or i I went back to northwestern one year and like did the coin toss and was like the honorary captain um no dude i don't don't got any good bye week stories the no and go to northwestern go to buffalo joe's you know get some wings in you and yeah a couple beers or what yeah what anything crazy uh i mean I, I think it's becoming more common now guys like actually check check out like because like still there'd be a lot of guys that stuck around which was interesting to me and like I think my first year I don't think I left I I, I can't like accurately remember but it's like it's like a way to show dedication I don't know but anyway besides the point it just um I I think the bye week because like, people catch shit for I mean obviously partying but like they were just roasting somebody um like and then brock purdy went and did farm work at his girlfriend's farm and yeah. all this stuff like who cares how these humans like down regulate and go enjoy yeah. their people and stuff like just let the boys live like the scrutiny's out of control and yeah, i could they, they, yeah they're chirping zach wilson for going to 
I think it was back to like Salt yeah. Lake City or something. He took a picture of his girlfriend at some restaurant and people were like, this fucking guy kidding me? Jets are one and three and he's going on bye week? It's like, what do you mean? He's going back, like he played college there. He's just going to have dinner with his girlfriend. I, he's yeah. not on a boat. He's not on a yacht with OBJ and the boys. <laughs> that yeah, picture like, is all time. <laughs> there's actually a Pickerington kid on the boat. His name's uh, he goes by Otto Lewis, but he Roger Lewis, he was a receiver for them for a little while. And so the, the rundown is... The rundown is that that was a crazy trip in general. I can imagine. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, anytime you're showing up to sail the seas of Key Biscayne down in Miami and you got the Timberlands on and the denim sag down to your goddamn drawers, I mean, that's you're going to have a pretty good time. No shirt on regardless, right? And who knows yeah. But it's like it's also we live in this phone world now where like you can get like no matter what you're doing, like. Even say a guy wants to go to the to the strip club or whatever, like there's guys getting snapped there and all this stuff, and it's just right. like, who cares if that's how they choose to live their life? Like everybody, like everybody just needs to mind their own damn business, and it's just like it's the celebrity side of the sport, and it's like, but the cool thing about football is like actually the majority of people don't know what you look like because of the football helmet effect. So it's just For like, sure. I I think there, yeah, I I think people sleep on the fact that. I don't think even like diehard fans could identify 80% of their team. Especially if you got yeah. a little tint yeah. on that yeah. visor too, you know, you got oh, that yeah. little tint on the visor. It's so nailed. Pete, the last yeah. question I wanted to ask you, Ozzo, I don't know if you have anything else, but I wanted to ask you, do you still watch the game and just give the listeners who's a, who's your Super Bowl favorite or a team that you think, um, you know, can get it done this year? Yeah, dude. I, lo- I mean, I love the game still. Obviously, I-, I didn't watch it for like a year, yearish, like after I finished playing, because like I can't, like I couldn't turn the switch off and watch a game and not dissect formation, tendency, where's the ball going, like that kind of thing. And it just like I wasn't playing, so I was like building up angst that like, oh, I I used to beat that dude's ass. Why am I not playing that kind of thing? So I just stopped watching yeah. for a little bit. Um, but anyways, uh, this year, I mean, it's been an interesting year. Like I, I think I saw some people's favorites all just get uh, busted, but I, I think the Eagles are pretty complete. I think uh, how they built their roster, like top to bottom, is pretty elite. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I know one of their scouts really well, and hearing the inner workings of how they find players and draft players and how their culture is set, and it's just like they're going to be tough to beat. And you saw them scrap this last week against the Bills. Like I think the Eagles are the team to beat. Um, the the Chiefs just have been hot and cold, but they I mean they always have the caliber a little bit. But I mean, who else has been uh bang- I mean the Ravens look great against the Chargers. Mm-hmm. San uh, Fran, they got McCaffrey, you know, they're yeah, over there. That, no, I, I, around I, the NFC. Yeah, dude, I love their roster too. Um I think I think they're healthy again. Yeah, because the other Bosa got hurt on Chargers, but uh yeah, dude, I mean they're and they picked up Chase Young, like they're dangerous. Yeah, so I'd say Eagles 49ers would be my top two. Then like honorable mention would uh, I'm going to say the Ravens right now. Cause I was surprised at their defense. Like Clowney has been a wrecking ball this year on defense for him. And they got some young studs that are playing hard and heavy, but um, yeah, I mean, usually like you try and look at guys that like teams that can run the ball besides like the chiefs outliers and stuff. But yeah, I, Raiders are honorable mention for me right now. I'm trying to go through the league. The Dolphins got some freaking firepower. Oh, yeah. um, Tyreek, 2K Tyreek, you know, he might get to 2,000 yards. That's crazy to think about. Yes, they do have the extra game, but he's been balling out down there in South Florida. 
Yeah, they're just like they have fireworks, and if the offense gets rolling, I love their coach, dude. He, like, uh, just I mean, I've, it's a guy you want to play for. Like, for like sure. you have. Uh, I mean, like you, you can find a reason to play for anybody, but he gives you a bunch of reasons where it's just like, like, and that it's a cool thing to see the contrast. Like, obviously, we talked about the hard ass coaches, but like, look at the contrast, and like, look at a Bill Belichick, and then, then you, then you look at, uh, like, obviously, Tomlin's a little different in how he does it, but that dude's dude, that dude teaches character to players. Like, I, I was talking to Ryan Shazier and a couple other players that have played on the Steelers for longer periods of time, and just like how that dude coaches everybody specifically because he knows and learned the human. Awesome. And it's just like, and the, but some coaches never like they're awkward to walk by and say hi in the hallway. You know, it's just like the yeah. NFL is pretty cool from that aspect. And I, I'm, I'm kind of ranting, but I just think those would be my four teams if I had to name them. But I just think that I, I love the game. I love the, the difference of leadership tactics and however people yeah. try and solve this problem. They call a Super Bowl. I had one, I just had one last question. It, I'm good. around. Shoot, shoot your shots, man. I'm around for the night. Were you were you in Houston when Hard Knocks was filmed there? I got there. So that that training camp is when they filmed it. I got there week three or four. So I, yeah. okay. No. I, the reason I wanted to ask was I remember you know me and my buddies were watching this and you know obviously JJ's up there and. We all know the cameras are out there, and then all of a sudden JJ stays in the middle of the field, you know, and he's he's doing extra reps in front of you know all the cameras, you know, staying late at night. And we're like, we're like, all right, is this guy kind of putting on a show? I mean, obviously he works hard, but it's like this guy knows the cameras out there. I just always thought that was funny, like ah, like oh JJ's out there just in front of the cameras, you know, putting in extra work. He's probably he'd probably do that at his own house if the cameras weren't there, but maybe he's doing it there because the camera's there and we have i've always wondered you know is, was he that kind of guy or was he actually out there just being a psycho uh uh actually out there being a psycho no like i mean the dude like the one not one thing i mean the, the dude was elite at a lot of things but his consistency of like work ethic was always elite um because like like a lesson i learned from him was, was basically that like consistency trumps everything and because like I wouldn't say like, I mean, there's a time when he's like still eating peanut butter and jellies before he went to sleep and that kind of thing as like a pro athlete. And like, there's better ways to do that in my opinion, but like no matter what he was, his protocol, he did not freaking miss his consistency, obviously his consistency of effort, but his consistency across the board. But yeah, dude, he, he was always working late or working early or something. I, I trained with him a decent amount, one off season. And did we were running gassers and that dude and like, was keeping up with me like he like he's a freak in his own sense but he dude yeah he yeah. i mean he always like he always kind of work he does work at weird hours sometimes he dude he's always there and he was sleeping at the facility pete during that hard knock the <laughs> yeah. hyperbolic chamber you know he'd go in the what? equipment room and oh yeah he, he was shutting it down right at the facility didn't he order like a mattress to the facility for training camp or something i thought I, they said that i, on hard I, I, I figured i figured that yeah, I figured that was for naps, like during, because you'll get like two hours down uh, for yeah. lunch and that kind of thing. I assume that's for that. Um, if he had a hyperbaric chamber at the facility, that's savage. But no, I don't. He he wasn't doing hyperbarics or anything when I was around. But he, um, dude, it, it, dude, he's just a his because like I, we we've I, I, I know Schmaltzy, we we've talked about it a little bit before, but like success is boring. Um, doing everything right, doing this like. That dude did all his stretches. That dude ate every calorie he was supposed to eat, every macro. 
He watched all his film. He knew what to do. He like you can make the argument he was a little cavalier, but he dude he played. He like like it's like you you make it you take it rules in football where like coaches won't say shit if you make plays, and that dude made a fuck ton of plays. So like yeah, I I loved how he played the game. I love how he prepared. Um, I mean, I mean, he was dude, he was he was the man in Houston. Like like the the, oh, yeah. the electricity when he was making plays. Dude, he was a he was a lightning rod for the boys. He um, dude, he like I just think the consistency, like again, that predictability we talked about earlier, was like because he's long and explosive and quickness and all these other things. But the one thing that impressed me more than anything with him was like his predictability and his consistency on fucking everything. Cause like even yeah. dude, he, he broke his he back. Would back it up, man. Like he dude, would back everything up. Yeah. And like, but he wasn't like, he wasn't like a talker. Like he wasn't like right. a, like on game day, some days he would chirp and that kind of thing. But like, like he do he, when he got his back surgeries and stuff, like the doc, he's like, the doctor's like, you can go on a walk. He goes, all right, well, how far? He was like, okay. Like he goes, this this amount of time he goes no i need a distance so like did he was walking seven hours in the or seven miles in the morning seven miles at night and just like it's just interesting like every detail mm-hmm. he always like every crossed every t dot every i kind of guy and um i just I, I he always had my respect from that aspect he just uh because a lot of guys you see why they stick around and it's they do all the boring stuff the stuff that nobody else wants to do and you wonder why they stick around for eight years and why they do X, Y, and Z. It's not a mistake, dude. They they show they show up on the regular. For sure, I love that. Success is boring. I'm gonna use that. That's it's so true. Yeah, it's yeah. but it's like it, but it's but it takes toughness to work through all that stuff. It takes toughness to keep like again. It's like you don't. It's all like short term deferment for long term gain. And like if like say. Who knows what the the margin of error is for you making a play that keeps your job or X, Y, and Z. And it's like, because we, we always talk about that in like the breathing world is like, like if you can downreg faster than an opponent in a fight, how like does that get you another fresh like minute and a half for the next round where you get your knockout? And that's the breaking point. So it's just like this this concept of chasing edges is definitely, it's not like the biohacks and the sups and all that stuff that I love, but it's the character and behavioral habits that really make fucking champions is this, all this boring monotonous work that separates it. Cause it, cause I, you guys have seen it at the pro For level. Sure. Like I, I use this example all the time. Like you look at my line, this, I mean with Kush, Kush's must like lean muscle mass aside. Um, there's not a big difference between every guy in the room and then particularly like, hockey. Like obviously there's like, I don't think there's any like, uh, whatever james harrison's playing hockey you know so it's just like but so you understand that the difference is not the physical output it's the time time involved for the skill set Mm -hmm. the mental fortitude it's the decision making it's who's the most calm and energy conserves the most energy it's all these things knows when to burst so it's like why would you not train your mind why would you not train that way or understand the character habits of consistency persistence predictability that really i think trump all sports but again we're just ranting on good quality no it's uh it's good shit pete you're such a nail gun man you're a guy that i've always looked up to someone i can go to you know it's been a few years since we've caught up but you know even last week when we caught up for about an hour and a half there uh you're just a savage you fucking make me want to go hit the heavy bag right now throw some lefts and rights i'm getting fired up over here but 
Folks, um, that was Brian Peters, former NFL player. Amazing story. We could do this all day. Check him out at Breathing for Performance. Pete, plug your pod, too, uh, right here for the folks, because I think a lot of people are going to be inspired from this talk. It's been awesome. For so sure. Plug that in. Yeah, I uh, the, the podcast is called Chasing Edges. It's <clears throat> at Chasing Edges on social and stuff. You can find it on all the platforms and that kind of thing. And then my social is Brian underscore Peters 10. I'm, I'm starting to play the content game, so you'll see more accurate information on what I do and how I do it. Probably not the best explanation today, but um yeah it's, it's again it's simple tools and tactics that like in, in performance now and then long term can be separators but i uh i do i appreciate you guys having me on obviously dynamite humans um always electric factory schmaltzy so appreciate you no man uh you know as a long time i guess just you know long time listener of you it's good to have you on you're a friend of the show we want to get you back on because uh we could do this all day so folks again that was former NFL linebacker, captain of the Houston Texans, Brian Peters. Fella, thanks again, baby. Boom. Thank you, BP. Easy. That was unreal, BP. You were buzzing.